Okay, Radio Roger, take it away. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 576. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 30th of June, 2023. In today's episode, a ground crew member is sucked into a jet engine in San Antonio. An Aeroflot captain goes to a penal colony because of a fatal crash. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, The Wood Duck, Part 1. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 576 is ready for pushback. That was, uh, thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys show. It's an aviation podcast. Uh, It's the most entertaining, educational, non-air traffic talk aviation podcast in the world according to me, uh, covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in the United States of America. And uh, joining us from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, AMP mechanic, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to be back uh, joining you guys. Glad that you're here with us and also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. I can just see my screen through the wood smoke. Oh, you can? That's good. Yeah. Good to hear. It. Uh, hope, yeah. Hopefully you won't be coughing too much uh, during Try the show. Try not to. Okay, cough button. Make sure you got that. Mm. All right. And also, uh, we have a special guest with us today from his home studio in England, a 320 captain, Airbus A320 captain for one of Europe's largest airlines, uh, MCC course and A320 ground school instructor, host of the A320 podcast and owner of the A320 Lounge. It's Matt, surname withheld. Matt, welcome. Thanks very much. Uh, Welcome, everyone, and it's been a great honor to be invited on. So, yeah, very looking forward to uh, discussing a few things this evening, and, yeah, thank you very much. He's very sarcastic, by the way, I should add. (laughs) All right. Uh, Oh, look who else is here. Oh, what's happening? Hello. Oh, look at that. Okay, well, let's uh, do this. From her lakeside studio in South... 
Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, it's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. I feel like tonight it was just um, Friday rush hour traffic um, negotiator is all I've been doing, so... Mm. But glad I made it here in time, mostly in time, and looking forward to a great show. Yeah, I, um, I'm i impressed. Like I didn't expect you this soon, so uh, good job, Steph. Have a great show, everybody. Thanks, Liz. Bye, Liz. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, cover some news, and then we'll come back and learn a little bit more about Matt and why he's here with me uh, or with us on today's show. Stand by for news. All right, we're going to start uh, the first news item with an event that uh, happened, uh, what, just yesterday or was it the day before yesterday? It was Day before Wednesday. yesterday, very, very recently. And uh, I think that uh, the best thing to do maybe is to play this uh, video from a local news outlet. Well, more travel trouble, this for passengers in North Carolina today. This Delta plane landed safely at Charlotte Douglas International Airport without its front landing gear. The airline says no injuries were reported. Two pilots, three Report flight it. attendants, and 96 passengers <laughs> were on board the Boeing 717. The flight departed Atlanta earlier this morning. Passengers praised the flight crew for their efforts to keep everyone safe. Well, the- no, was that it? <laughs> That's okay. Short and, and sweet. Uh, and uh, breaking news, uh, apparently uh, the word reported has no T in it anymore. <laughs> I think that was a, news outlet, a media outlet from, from Philadelphia. It oh, was like. it? Yeah. Okay. Ah, all right. Well, that, that uh, doesn't really that, mean That anything. explains their inability to enunciate <laughs> words. Yeah. Uh, Steph doesn't want to claim them. Um, no, no. Uh, I don't know. I lived in Philadelphia for a long time, too, so, or in the area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Liz is saying it's too bad we don't know anybody that uh, knows anything or something about the uh, 717. And I agree. Mm-hmm. I wish that we did. <laughs> we made for a more interesting, you know, robust analysis of this yeah. event. I did um, talk to someone who talked to a mechanic for uh, Delta, our sister airline. Uh, in Charlotte, and they said that the over-center mechanism uh, had broken on it, which is a pretty beefy part, actually. I'm, I'm, when you say over-center mechanism, can you explain that? Oh, uh, okay. For when the nose stru- comes right down, there's a there's a uh, like a metal structure that kind of pops into place, and and uh, it's kind of like an over-center lock. It, so once the strut extends to a certain point, it locks into position, and the only way that you can retract. The gear is for that center, uh, that over center mechanism to be pulled out of position so that to allow the uh, the nose gear strut to retract. Did that make any sense? I don't know. Um, anyway, this says that would never have happened at Actor Airlines. No, no, no. We we're we're on top of these uh, over center uh, strut 
things on our uh, 717 <laughs> fleet at Acme Air, just to be sure you, you know, to know Is it next to the shimmy damper? It is. Yes. It's, it's next well, to the shimmy damper. I'm gonna, I will have to defer to, I have to defer to Steph uh, regarding the shimmy damper expert, uh, Dr. Steph. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll have to go back and consult the technical notes on that. We can yeah. read them out later. Oh, well, like. Okay. Let's yeah. wait until you have she'll a She'll also beers. need like half an hour because she, yeah, she just walked in from work. So she'll need like half an, half an hour to get prepped for that. <laughs> Matt, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with uh, one of the funniest, I think per- my personal favorite uh, airline pilot guy show episode. It was pretty early on in the 200s, right? Steph was Probably, it back then. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. And uh, Steph was reading some te- a technical paper about shimmy dampers and it was very, um, it was very entertaining. <laughs> Let's just say between like being very exhausted and having had a couple beers, it didn't go well. No, it went and no one stopped well. me. They just let me. Well, they tried to, I think, but I was just dead set on reading that. And it. Oh no. yeah, she had no idea. Oh, I was yeah. I think I was half asleep to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it was great. Um, and and I'm sorry we keep bringing it up stuff, but I can't help it. That was it's all right. So, I can so, own it. It's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I, but I didn't bring it up this time. It was I haul boxes. It's his fault. I know. I know. Okay. Uh, so this um, news source is uh, WBTV, which I do think is a, that is in Charlotte. Yeah. A Charlotte source. Mm-hmm. Uh, Delta Airlines Flight 1092 landed around 8.40 a.m. The NTSB is investigating after a, the plane's landing gear failed to work properly as it landed on Wednesday morning. And... Uh, so they were coming in. Oh, you know, I have a another, you have um, the, uh, another video, the video I think, yeah. or should have um, from the actual. Uh, there should be a vast aviation. Like, I think it's a vast aviation one. Uh, ATC audio. Go. Okay, it's not the other one that I have set up already. See how professional we are here, Matt. Matt, do you, do you want me to read? Uh, do you want me to you, read some of this article while you're? Why don't you do on? that, Steph? That's, 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 do that'd that. be a great so, idea. We're Thank skip you. Skip to the, uh, the <laughs> potatoes of this here. So, um, the airplane. Uh, this was an article written at the end of the day, I think, on uh, Wednesday. Uh, the airplane has been removed from the runway, which was closed for hours uh, while the crews worked to remove it. And indeed, it was closed most of the day on Wednesday because this happened fairly early in the morning, and I don't think they moved it until very close to sunset. Um, nobody was injured in the incident and passengers were bused to a terminal. A passenger on the plane said via text that they were allowed to leave, but nothing was allowed off the plane. No suitcases or carry-ons. He said that they were told the Federal Aviation Administration has a hold on the plane, so nothing can move on it or from it. The passenger added he was headed to a work meeting in an Uber with no wallet. So keep your stuff in your pockets, people, like Mm. important things, wallets, passports, keys, medications, maybe on your person. Anyway, um, just so thankful and just a big smile on my face that I was able to hear my wife, my mom, and my kids, said passenger Gary Gibbs. Relieved Gibbs said that there were anxious moments as flight 1092 approached the runway and described the moment it touched down. We came to a full stop. There was some smoke in the cabin, so that was a little bit concerning, but the flight attendants did well. The pilot came on with his instructions that we would be exiting, so we all exited safely. Another passenger recorded the moment the flight landed at the airport. The plane can be heard hitting the runway and sliding to a stop. I would actually describe it as landing. Um, I've watched the video. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And actually, quite a a smooth um, touchdown, actually, on main gear. I thought so, too. Yeah, a very well-executed landing. 
um, passenger Edward Cates recorded the moment the plane landed at the airport without its nose gear down. Um, Delta said two pilots, three flight attendants, 96 customers were aboard the plane when it landed, and the NTSB said it is investigating. Um, goes on for a bit more, but do you have that video queued up? We well, I keep I it. keep loading the video, but it, it's like the I can't find the one that I'm looking for. I, I, I didn't name these very well. Uh, so I am going to go ahead and play this one first. Uh, this is from a passenger's point of view, I believe, on the left side of the aircraft, uh, looking out the window. And uh, I'm just going to pause it for a moment here. You can see the, uh, the angle of the sun and uh, kind of uh, put, placing the shadow of the uh, front of the 717 on the uh, runway. In this case, it's the the overrun, and uh, you can see that where you'd normally see a nose wheel strut and nose wheels, uh, you just see the door, the nose wheel door open. And uh, so that's kind of a cool um, Yeah, it's shot. nice that this occurred at 8 o'clock in the morning, on the, uh, and they were landing north. Mm-hmm. So you have the sun to the right of the airplane, shadow to the, to the left. Yep, and it's pointing to the north. You're right. There we go. And then it touches down on the mains. <laughs> the guy goes, not bad at all. Yeah, well, those yeah. Be- that's because the wheels those are, are wheels. down. <laughs> but wait till you uh, feel the next part. And he's holding it off, holding it off, gently lowering it to the runway. Oh, no. Now you hear the scraping right there. And who needs brakes? Right, Camacho? That's kind of cool to have that kind yeah, of that's great video. viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. And I don't know. I'm going to try another. Uh, there are three videos in here that. Um, well, let me play this one. See what this one looks like. You know what? I think that I don't have the vast aviation one, even though it's in the show notes. There we go. Um, so, hey, this is uh, some passenger footage uh, after they have left the aircraft. No luggage. No luggage. And, uh, yeah, there are uh, very few people. Uh, if I don't see anybody yet that has any luggage, which is a, ma- a miracle in itself. And I also noticed, look, everybody's wearing um, decent shoes. Um for this situation. Nobody in flip-flops. It's a good thing or, I wasn't on this plane because I probably would have been in flip-flops. <laughs> I know. I know stuff would be. Or barefoot. Well, um, but I was uh, very... Everybody's wearing sensible shoes. Hers are kind of maybe not quite so sensible. But. She says she's on her way to business meetings. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, looks like everything is nice and orderly and everybody's gathering off the uh, side of the runway and uh, it was a, a happy ending. And uh, I guess what I need to do is... You know what I'll do. I'm going to just go ahead and play from uh, Evernote the uh, that that video from uh, Vass Aviation, and the main thing is uh, it, it shows a, a radar plot or a simulated radar plot of the approach and landing, and then uh, the other the second approach and landing. And really, the the main point of listening to this is is hearing the audio. So I think everybody will be able to hear this. Can you hear that all right? Yeah, that's good. You can hear that. Yeah. Okay. Real Aviation Communications from Bass Aviation. 
And here we go. They're showing the airplane coming in on the Jonesy arrival. They just passed by Steph's that place. That voice is so familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, the controller's voice. The controller. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's talking about the Boeing seven one seven two hundred performing flight ten ninety two from Atlanta to Charlotte inbound. And then. Okay, this is after they've um, made their first approach attempt, and then, of course, at the point where we normally configure for landing, which typically on the, the weather this day, a visual approach, they were probably about five miles from uh, the uh, end of the runway when they started the configuration process, and then they went, oh, that's not good. The center uh, gear, the, the nose gear, uh, is not extending. Probably going to need a few minutes to run a checklist. Delta 1092. Okay. I think. Everybody sounds Delta 1092. Delta 1092, yeah, good. Yeah, sir, we have a nose wheel uh, unsafe indication. We're going to have to go ahead and declare an emergency for and uh, plan on landing 36 left, stop it on the runway. Delta 1092, Roger. You ready to come in now? Yeah, if you can give us two more minutes. Delta 1092, did you want to do a low approach so I have the uh, tower take a look at it? Uh, don't say 92, no, sir. We, uh, we're just going to go ahead and proceed in them. Since we're done with our checklist. Roger. Stop 1092, whenever you can, give me a souls on board and fuel remains. Okay, don't say 92, souls on board. Um, stand by just one sec. Okay. He's reaching around for the piece of paper that's in the trash can. <laughs> and don't say 92, we're ready to take our second. Stop 1092, turn left heading 092. Getting vector back for the ILS 36 left. First officer's voice. He's got a great voice. Yeah, Delta 1092, I'm sorry. We have 104 souls on board and we have uh, 50 minutes worth of gas. Thank you very much. That was a captain. A lot going on in the cockpit, running checklists and such. Yeah, it shows them intercepting the final approach course. Okay, they don't have the uh, audio from that frequency. And they continued down and... They, they're back with approach again. And I think what happened was they um, thought maybe it would be a good idea for Tower to take a look and see what it looks like uh, on this approach. And uh, so they must have done a, a low flyby. And now they're back with approach control again for their final trip around the pattern. Okay, no audio available on the tower frequency, new approach frequency given. Should we get cleared the uh, visual approach? Yep, there you go. 
And again, no audio on 3335 from uh, live A2C.net. All 96 passengers, five crew evacuated safely. All right. Happy ending. So there was some of the audio from the event. You know, this is actually a beautiful picture of that aircraft with the reflection and everything, if it wasn't for the nose wheel. Um, yeah, I think so, too. It's a nice. You're talking about that last image that we're yeah, looking this, at on the, this, on the the slide that I've got up. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not looking at your slide. Okay, let me go to that. Yeah, it is a, a nice picture with the reflection and everything. Um, I'm assuming all the water there must have been from one of the uh, air rescue firefighting equipment, and maybe they just, as a precaution, sprayed some water it on the lower fuselage. Certainly was not raining fuselage. on Wednesday. Here no, in and, it, and well, no, yes, it was uh, right in that little area, that little just spot. Just right There's there. a little cloud <laughs> that came down and just let go. <laughs> Hey Andy, what do you think uh, of this? Is this do you guys do this kind of thing over uh, over there in England a lot? Matt, yeah. No? Um, I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> what did I call you, Andy? Yeah. Who's Who Andy? Again? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. It's all right. I, I frequently okay. forget Jeff's name. It's fine. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I have a lot on my mind. I just talked with the, the <laughs> motorhome guy on the phone right before we started recording. His name is Andy. Okay. No worries. Yeah. Interesting. Um, few things that from my perspective that are interesting about this one is uh, on this aircraft the the um landing gear is actually quite short anyway so it's quite a, a shallow deck angle when the nose is rested on the ground whereas on the a320 for example we have quite a long landing gears and they're not very far apart so particularly on the 319 the the nose will and the main gear aren't that far apart so the deck angle is quite steep if you land uh, without the, the nose wheel down um and even with this shallow deck angle here you notice that it's quite awkward to get down the emergency slide which a lot of passengers don't think about they went, when they had the video of the passengers getting off the slide angle is so shallow that it's almost um level it looked quite mm-hmm. awkward to actually escape from which a lot of people probably don't think about when you have these sorts of things yep um, but from a crew point of view, I thought it was nicely handed. One of the things that we talk about when I'm training uh, crew resource management, failure management and things is distraction. And everybody needs their piece of information. You'll notice that air traffic control were constantly calling the crew and asking them for information, which is, you know, they're not doing anything wrong. But as crew, we have to manage that distraction because, as you noticed, they said, oh, stand by or we're just sorting this out because we're running all our checklists and getting everything sorted and getting ready for the approach and deciding what we're going to do. And ATC are asking, you know, when you're going to make approach, how many people are on board and all these sorts of things. So it's quite a um, workload management issue when you have something like this because everybody wants their their information and of course atc have a lot to prepare for so if you just suddenly say at the last minute oh we're coming in with no gear and we're ready for an approach there's quite a lot of there for them to prepare ready so i thought it was all handled very nicely the the calls were very calm as well weren't they which which showed that they had a a good atmosphere going on in the flight deck yeah bruce mentioned in the chat about uh would you um recycle the gear you would obviously know this jeff but i would can only assume that the checklist would ask you to do that they probably did do that as part of their checks after they'd gone around we certainly would on the airbus yeah and it was uh 
just uh, it was never going to come down because I learned some, you know, of that mm-hmm. background the, uh, information about what happened. Jordan in our live audience says at least they didn't ask them to pick up a new ATIS. I was just going to say the same thing, Jordan. <laughs> I was going to give them the bell, the thumbs up for not saying uh, new in- information Foxtrot. Please pick. let us know when you have that new information. Yeah. OK, we're kind of busy right now. Thank you. Yeah, you know? no. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't yeah. hear them say and that. Yeah. Is there a different type of Cavoke outside now? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, it was like exactly. zero wind. It was Cavoke, like, you know, it was there's a little bit of haze from some of those Canadian wildfires, but not nearly as bad as some places in the country at the moment. So yeah. um it, we the Sultan of Wings and I were having a little sidebar conversation during the uh, audio as well about runway choice. So three six center, he notable he very astutely points out is the longer runway, mm-hmm. um, not by a ton. And then you heard ATC actually say that that was available if they would like the longest runway. Um, and then you couldn't hear the audio because it was not available or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering um, a little bit on their thought process. But my thought process is if you don't have you know, if you're going to be resting on the nose of the aircraft, it, once you touch down, you're not going to need a lot of distance. Exactly. It's, it's not, not like that you've lost hydraulics and brakes right. and whatever. Yeah. It's you know, it's not stopping is not going to be the problem right. in this situation. You're right, Steph. And uh, at first, though, it when he offered it, I'm thinking, oh, of course, he's going to ask for the center. And then he said, OK, it'll stick with three six left. I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, I guess that does make sense. And you're keeping it away from, you know, 36 Center is like the busiest runway there. They use that for almost all the departures and also some landings as well. And And if you tie up the center and you have the left side or if you have the west side open, so 36 left, 18 right, then Mm -hmm. I don't know how that affects crossing that center runway all day long while it's so potentially you're tying up two runways. Right. Yeah. So I think that that might have been part of the thought process of the uh, Delta pilots. Like, hey, let's just keep us over here. That way, at least we have a minimal impact or, or not as great an impact as it would be with the center runway. Mm-hmm. Brad uh, also thinks that the water on the ground was yeah. because it was a retirement flight. I, I was going to highlight that as well. It may have been a retirement flight, according to Brad. Uh, the water <laughs> arch, you know, that water that we saw there. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? If that had been me, I probably would have said, yep. Yeah, Bye-bye. That's it. That's my last flight right there. I'm retiring. <laughs> Tell them to bring the water cannons out and shoot them over the, yeah. One of the, one of the photos does have the flight crew in it. You know, they're kind of looking yeah. back at the airplane as they're, they're leaving. Um, and I did notice, I think it's the captain over there on the, um, right. right by the, the nose. Website. Yeah. Right by the nose. Mm-hmm. Kind of some salt and pepper uh, stuff going on with his, with his hair there. So mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know. Could be. Yeah. I don't know who that is. Of course, it's another airline. It's not right, uh, right. Acme Airlines. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, but you know, the piloting community here in the U S is very, very small and tight and uh, I didn't recognize anybody there. Not many at all. Not many. Yeah. At all. Uh, Um, so I had a, uh, I thought I was a little disappointed. There weren't any, uh, sarcastic comments on the radio. Um, on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. We, so uh, the one gear issue I've had, I was in a friend's airplane. We, our nose gear, well, we couldn't get the nose gear up. And then because it didn't go all the way up, we couldn't get it all the way down because of how it worked. And it was like a one-off experimental airplane. You want a sarcastic problem? That sounds like a a personal problem. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so we're up there like flying around for an hour and a half, like trying trying to figure out what what we're going to do. And eventually we called the tower. We were in the southwest United States. We flew to like a medium-sized airport. 
and we called the tower and we're like, hey, can you call the guy? So we knew the guy who built the airplane. So we're like, hey, can you call this guy and explain to him what we're doing? And so then we had this like eight or 10 minute long protracted conversation over the radio where we would say, this is what's happening. This is what we've tried. And the, and the controller would say, okay, hold on. And then like go to his cell phone and talk to the guy in his cell phone and come back and say, well, the builder says, try this. And so we did that. And finally we got it down. And so then we're like, okay, we want to come in and land. And so we started in the pattern and um, they were like, okay, we have the, we have the trucks just for you, just in case. And there was a, like a 172 or 182 sitting in the run up area. <laughs> and the controller was like, uh, such and such, are you almost ready to go? You, we have an emergency coming in. So if you want to get out before him in case he ties up the runway. And the guy in the Cesta who's been listening to everything on the radio is like, no way, man. I want to see how this ends. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, invested at this point. Yeah. <laughs> man, you can watch how it ends from the air. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. As we were. No, I, I, I was. Frustration into the, into the flight. We were like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, I, I thought you were going to say, um, you know, uh, insinuating that ATC didn't have any sarcastic comments, but Charlotte ATC, they're professional, professional, professionals, as you would expect. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not like those Did yahoos recognize. up the road. Yeehaw. Up the uh, road? Yeah. A yeah, piece? No. In the, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up, up the road a little bit in further. The mythical triad yeah, area. In the mythical triad. Area. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Different story there. Yeah. <laughs> Move number two. All right, let's uh, continue on with this next item. And uh, let's see, airline. This is from uh, Ken's Five, a local San Antonio news outlet. Uh, Airline ground crew member killed by engine of a jet at San Antonio International Airport. Firefighters and police officers responded to the incident around 10.25 p.m. on Friday night. Uh, fire, let's see, the NTSB said Saturday the worker went into the engine of a Delta Airlines jet. Delta Flight 1111 was taxiing to the gate. There's no Y in that word. Uh, with one engine on at the time and a worker was ingested into the engine at 1025, the NTSB said in a statement. Uh, the NTSB has been in contact with Delta Airlines. They are in the information gathering process at this point. The flight had just come in from Los Angeles. Uh, Ken's 5, the local news outlet, has learned the worker was employed by a company that Delta Airlines contracts with to support uh, ground handling operations. I think uh, the name of the company is Unify. Uh, The airline said Saturday morning it was uh, full supporting ongoing investigations. Uh, The company released the following statement. We are heartbroken and grieving the loss of an aviation family member's life in San Antonio. Our hearts and full support are with their family, friends, and loved ones during this difficult time. Um, Let's see. uh, The company Unify, uh, Unify Aviation, this is their statement, is deeply saddened by the loss of our employee at San Antonio International Airport during a tragic incident in the late hours of Friday, June 23rd, 2023. Our hearts go out to the family of the deceased, and we remain focused on supporting our employees on the ground and ensuring they are being taken care of at this time. From our initial investigation, this incident was unrelated to Unify's operational processes, uh, safety procedures, and policies. Out of respect for the deceased, we will not be sharing any additional information while police and other officials have, uh, continue to investigate this incident. Um, and so then another news item here, a little bit um, more recent from the guardian.com. 
Um, a worker at uh, San Antonio's International Airport died after being sucked into the jet engine. A source was briefed directly on the case, told The Guardian on Sunday that it appeared that the worker had intentionally stepped in front of the live engine on the jet and that police were investigating that aspect. Um, let's see. The worker's death was... Okay, we already talked about that. Um, Unify. Uh, well, we already read that statement from them. I think that's about all the additional. Okay, so basically... Uh, I think that another report that we had seen uh, said that there was some kind of a note that was left by the worker before, uh, tragically, he ended his own life uh, by walking in front of the uh, engine of the Airbus A319. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I think that these Airbuses are just um, uh, they're traps. they're a menace to society. Uh, yeah. They're death traps. And I think we should stop flying. We should ground them. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> Everybody should be on the 717. Yes. What do you say about this? This is tragic. Um, You know, this is like the people that jump in front of trains. This is is just as horrible for the people who are um, its coworkers, employees, the pilots, the passengers on the airplane. Like this is, you know, yeah, that's that's really terrible for them. It's going to be pretty disturbing, isn't it? I mean, this sort of thing is not a... um, a subtle incident is it so no. everybody around yeah. the area will have probably had some a pretty disturbing experience or i'd imagine so yeah, yeah it's pretty nasty mm-hmm. i you yeah. know obviously when people are in a su- suicidal state of mind they're not in a right mind but i'm wondering if it ever occurs to them how this is going to impact everybody else no. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, to be in that frame of mind, there's not logical thought about how it's going to impact other people, whether it's people that you know or people who happen to, to witness whatever the event is. They just want to end it. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, just from having listened to people who have been in that frame of mind describe mm-hmm. what their thought processes are, you know, people who have not actually carried out their suicidal intentions or failed in it in some, some regard. It is nice to see the consistency of the news outlets with the Huffington Post having a, an MD-90 as the <laughs> photograph for yes. their news piece. Well, well it's just another airplane. As long as it says Delta on it, it, it doesn't yeah. matter, yeah. right? I, I mean, mean it would on. take some to get yourself ingested into that, probably, wouldn't it? And, and yeah. honestly... <laughs> I, I mean, I, you must be reading it thinking, I don't understand how this happened. Yeah, it's been a very tall what? person. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's something that we have been and, yeah, no. we have been th- talking about that uh, in in recent days. That you know, I'm glad that we have engines that are you know mounted up pretty high uh, on the tail of the aircraft and not hanging low to the ground uh, off the uh, off the wings. Um, now is this this is a, a video of an incident in Hong Kong. Um, where we uh, there's an airplane at the gate. However, it looks as if the slides in the back of the aircraft have been deployed, and we see people uh, evacuating. And while they're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn off the volume completely there and read from the news item, which is from the AviationHerald.com. A Cathay Pacific Boeing 777-300 registration Bravo Kilo Papa Kilo uh, Quebec, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, performing flight 880 from Hong Kong to Los Angeles with 293 passengers and 17 crew 
but was accelerating for takeoff from Hong Kong's runway 7 right when the crew rejected takeoff at high speed. The aircraft slowed safely and taxied to the apron. At least three tires deflated. At the apron, the crew initiated an emergency evacuation via slides, resulting in 11 injuries. The airline reported that the crew rejected takeoff due to a signal uh, anomaly. Nine of the 11 injured passengers have been released from the hospital after treatment. Two passengers remain hospitalized. Two elderly passengers, male and female, received right leg injuries each and remain hospitalized. According to passenger reports, the tires deflated during taxi back to the apron. All right, so... um, so I guess that's it for that article, at least right now. So there's yeah, a – go ahead. No, we just don't have any more information. At okay. Point. So that's the information we have. Now, I'm kind of scratching my head on this one a little bit. Yeah, um, me too. So, um, Matt, well, what, what's your what's your take on this? Well, the as I'm sure you brief as well, I brief that we would only evacuate if it appeared to be safer outside the aircraft than in. Mm -hmm. So you would have to look at this scenario and say, does that appear to be the case? Um, If those wheels had got on fire, which is potentially viable with a a heavy aircraft like that and a high-speed rejected takeoff, but it doesn't look like there's any fire crew there or any evidence of that. So it'd be interesting to know what their rationale was for evacuating because we're always told, you know, in an evacuation, especially of the last large aircraft i think statistically if you evacuate a large aircraft like that one person will die statistically Mm. um but as you saw there were there were injuries on this one so it is a big decision to make it's interesting yeah so about your thoughts typically you know when you have a high speed or any kind of an abort but especially a high speed abort especially a very heavy airplane uh you you're going to have very likely going to have hot brakes and those hot brakes can they'll continue to heat up the energy uh, when you come to a complete stop is not going to be at its greatest until maybe about 20 minutes or so after you uh, started the abort procedure and typically uh, what we would do is we would stop or maybe pull off the side of the um, uh, the runway to get out of the way so they could continue operations on the runway but you know, we I would never consider taxiing back to the gate unless I've had the air rescue firefighting folks come out to the airplane and and do a very thorough inspection of the uh, landing gear assemblies and the brakes and to see how, you know the condition of the tires and that kind of thing. And I would I, it would take me. I mean, I'd, I'd have to really be convinced that everything was perfectly fine and safe and nothing was that hot for me to continue taking that airplane back to a gate area because now you're in a congested area. A lot of people on the ground and service the airplanes are uh, very close by. And the way these uh, tires work, they have these things called uh, fusible plugs or fuse plugs that once they reach a certain temperature, uh, they um, activate and basically work to uh, controllably deflate the tires because you don't want the tires to blow up on their own. So these fuse plugs will uh, be activated by the high temperatures and the uh, the wheels or the tires will, you know, as I said, slowly deflate and not blow up and, you know, be projectiles. Um, and uh, that's obviously, to me anyway, what happened with uh, at least three of the tires on one side of the aircraft. But I just... If I'm at the gate and 
I, I don't I didn't see the very beginning of it. Is the jetway at the no, I guess yeah, the jetway, jetway is up um, to the front there. door of the aircraft. But, but they haven't blown the slide on the other side. Right. And the and only so in the back. Only the back. I'm, I'm mm. wondering if there's some kind Was of a miscommunication going on with the cabin crew. Yeah, um, I wonder if the cabin crew have taken it upon themselves to evacuate here, which has mm -hmm. happened. I have no of three incidents where that's happened in Europe, where right. the cabin crew have been panicked and they've Maybe they start smelling the smoke, you know, from the uh, hot yeah. brakes and then maybe the, the rubber from the tires. And they're thinking or there may have been actually some physical uh, manifestation of smoke in the cabin. And then they just panicked and initiated the evacuation. I don't know. Just thinking if you've ever done any, you know, like just mountain driving and, you know, you're behind a large truck or lorry mm -hmm. and they're, you know, riding their brakes. That's quite an awful smell. Yeah, like right. Imagine that being in the cabin and being distressing. And also after a high speed rejection like that, everyone's going to have adrenaline pumping. So everyone's mm -hmm. going to be heightened sense of sure. their surroundings. Yeah. yeah, I'll bet that the pilots up there way up in the flight deck in the cockpit area of the airplane probably had no idea what was happening in the back until somehow they got an indication that doors were open. And I don't know if they have an indication on the 777 that slides are actually activated or not. I mean, it may I'm not sure be. I'm sure they know the doors are open. Well, the They're doors would definitely, number, there would yeah. be a signal mm. for that. And, uh, and that may or may not be, you know, something that would get their attention because if people were there already, you know, trying to recater uh, the aircraft for the next flight, that might be a normal thing that they would see. I don't know. But I, I, my point is, I don't think that was a pilot-initiated evacuation in this case. Also, by the time you see the doors open, it's too late anyway. Everything's happened. So. Right. I mean, I don't know what uh, anything technical about the 777, but, I mean, on our aircraft, we have temperature gauges for the wheels. We have mm -hmm. brake fans that we can cool them down with. So we can monitor and we know what temperature the plugs are going to go at. So we're going to mm -hmm. have a good idea of what the situation of the tires and the wheels are i don't know what they have on the triple seven yeah I, i'm sure it's very similar i'm not sure about the fan aspect of it but uh i know that all the other sensors and stuff are are there what <laughs> somebody's laughing about a comment made miami in the, uh, rick when you need him tim van ram pretty sure the slides deployed due to a few folks not having put their phones in airplane mode quite quite yeah or it could be the uh the 5g uh, stuff yeah definitely yeah. the 5g yeah blew up the tires or something i don't know all right okay we'll look for that. more information we'll uh you know keep everybody updated on this when we have more information about uh, the actual scenario uh, that occurred all right uh this next news item is from the paddle your own canoe website and uh the captain of an aeroflot plane that crashed at Moscow uh, in May 2019, killing 41 people on board, including two children, have been, has been sentenced to six years imprisonment in a Russian penal colony after he was found guilty of violating air safety rules. Denis Evdokimov was also ordered, I think that deserves that, uh, good, yeah. to pay two victims 1.5 million rubles each, approximately $17,700 U.S., and has been banned from piloting an aircraft for three years after his release from prison. Uh, he was the commander of a Russian-built Sukhai 
Sukhoi Superjet 100-95, which was hit by lightning shortly after takeoff from the airport. Uh, The lightning strike caused a loss of radio communications and possible electrical problems and prompted the pilots to panic (laughs) and make an immediate return. Upon landing, the aircraft bounced along. So everything at this point was under control. They were just having issues with communications on the aircraft after the lightning strike. And they came in a little bit unstabilized, a lot unstabilized. And uh, this happened on the landing, which we're going to play right now. And uh, this is a a security camera uh, video of the aircraft after it had bounced and slid off the side of the runway sideways. And it's already engulfed in a huge amount of fire uh, from the back of the wings uh, aft to the tail fin. Here comes the slide. And the front slide uh, on the right side is uh, deployed. And soon I think we're going to see the same thing happening on the uh, the left side of the aircraft. And so people are evacuating. And uh, it's just very clear to see by watching this video how um, 41 people – uh, passed away in this. Um, they were all in that aft portion of the uh, Sukhoi uh, Superjet. Um, very, very tragic situation. The air rescue firefighting equipment are now approaching the airplane and putting uh, water or whatever the uh, foam treatment it is that they're uh, armed with uh, in an attempt to put out the fire. Anyway, we'll continue with the Uh, news item here. Um, During the resulting evacuation, 40 passengers and one crew member were killed. Uh, They were trapped in the back of the aircraft. Uh, The court decided to find uh, Evdokimov guilty under Part 3 of Article 263 of the Criminal Code of the Russian Federation. That's a violation of traffic safety rules and sentenced him to six years with serving in a colony settlement. Uh, prosecutors successfully argued that the cause of the accident wasn't the lightning strike, but rather the captain's failure to follow the correct procedures in landing the aircraft. Uh, It was, the court concluded, the actions of the commander that caused the plane to bounce along the runway, causing the landing gear to fail and the subsequent crash. Uh, uh, The captain's defense attorney says they intend to appeal the verdict, verdict, arguing that the sentencing was overly harsh. Well, I'd say it was kind of overly harsh, the outcome for 41 of the people on board the aircraft, too. So I don't know. It, this is a tough one because, you know, especially for those of us who do this for a living, uh, carrying passengers for hire, uh, usually, you know, uh, a, a lot of passengers in the back that we're responsible for. Um, unless it's just outright negligence, I I, I find it hard to believe that somebody would be um, punitively uh, punished for making an error. Now, maybe it was bad judgment. Maybe it was bad f- flying piloting skills. Uh, but I think that there's a line that you, 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 can't, you can't really go over unless, as I said, it's something that was intentionally or, or um, 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 neglect you know, involved. But uh, I don't know. Uh, your thoughts, crew? Yeah, I, I mean, unless there's my only thought was, is there more information to the story from what happened in those final moments before landing or lead up to that? Or were there other things, you know, in his um, 
history along the way, potentially. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe there was some contributing or other evidence that made them issue a harsher punishment. It's tough because, sure. as you say, Jeff, coming from the professional mm-hmm. side of this, you know, unless you have a very obscure scenario like the German wing situation, no one goes to work to go and kill a load of people, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is, I don't suppose he's happy in his life at home thinking about that accident and he's probably, you know, suffering as well. But then someone has to be blamed for it. So I think, as you say, Steph, maybe there's more to this story. Maybe they want a scapegoat. Who knows? But it was shocking how quickly that fire took hold. I mean, those people were dead before it came to a halt, I would imagine. Or or their fate fate was decided anyway before that even came to halt. I felt like it took quite a long time for the fire service to get there. It's supposed to be 60 seconds from any point on the airport. I believe. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and probably one of those things where they were, they had communication issues. They mm. weren't coming back for, a, you know, a, something wrong with the aircraft per se. Mm. They weren't expecting it to be a crash of that magnitude. I'll tell you what else would be interesting to know. I, I don't, I know very little about this aircraft type, but it'd be interesting to know if a, a 737 or an Embraer or an A320 pulled the same maneuver and bounced landing if it would result in in that yeah it seemed pretty dramatic for what was described to have had happened because we only see the final motion you know the final part Mm. there where it's like screeching to halt already engulfed in flames yeah Um, and that alone is quite dramatic i do remember we were we covered this right after it happened and there was a lot more detail involved with how all this was set up and how badly the uh, landing attempt was botched by uh, by the pilot in command there. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I you know, I think it's and Captain Nick, Captain Nick, I feel like brings this up a lot, but like the fine balance between being punitive uh, or your punitive actions negating the advancement of. Uh, aviation safety and it's hard I, I don't know anything about how aviation works in russia but you know i don't know if it's a combination of how we approach it here in the united states from a um, legal standpoint or uh, you know we have I, I think most of the airlines have pretty powerful um, pilot unions that also do a pretty good job of, of protecting their members um, but man <laughs> just from an outsider's perspective, something like this happening in the United States is just nearly incomprehensible. It's, it's to hard to imagine six yeah. years in a, yeah. No. And I think, you know, like the one that comes to mind is I think back to that, uh, oh, there's a crash in uh, Brazil. There was a Gulf Stream, a midair between a Gulf Stream and something, you know, and it mm-hmm. was an American crew in the Gulf Stream and they were taken into custody and it turned into a huge um, life altering situation for that flight crew. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard to imagine in uh, in our country, at least, having something handled like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not a black and white one, this one. It's something you could probably de- debate for, for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But we don't have months to uh, debate it, so we're going to move on to this <laughs> next item uh, from the Aviation Herald. Uh, a Condor Airbus A330-900 November registration, uh, I guess that's a 900neo, registration Delta Alpha November Romeo Alpha performing flight 2314 
um, departed March 1st from Frankfurt, uh, Germany to Mor- Mauritius. Mauritius, Mauritius. Uh, with 277 passengers and 13 crew, was en route at flight level 390, about two hours before estimated landing in Mauritius, Mauritius, Mauritius. when the uh, aircraft encountered turbulence, causing injuries to a number of occupants. The aircraft continued to Mauritius for a landing on runway 14 without further incident. You the tell air- me when to put the map up, Jeff. The um, okay, we'll we'll do Liz. Uh, the airline reported the aircraft encountered turbulence about two hours prior to landing. Twenty passengers received injuries. The aircraft cabin received some damage to be further assessed. Uh, the uh, you can put that up if you want the cabin um, damage. I, I did. I put the okay. Cabin up before, yeah. uh, the aircraft still on the ground in Mauritius about 14 hours after landing on March 16, 2023. Uh, the German BFU reported that five occupants received serious injuries when the aircraft encountered severe turbulence. The occurrence is being investigated by Germany's uh, BFU. On June 21st, so uh, recently, the BFU reported in their monthly bulletin, three passengers received serious and one cabin crew and 16 passengers minor injuries. At the time of the accident, the senior first officer was occupying the left seat and was the pilot flying. The first officer was on the right seat or in the right seat and was the pilot monitoring. The aircraft was en route at flight level 390, flying along uh, airway uniform Mike 665 with offset one nautical mile to the right in southerly direction between waypoints Uveso and Angkor. A similar aircraft was tracking the same route 2,000 feet above them. According to significant weather charts, uh, cumulonimbus clouds were rising up to flight level 460, that's 46,000 feet approximately, in that area. There had been no pilot reports of any turbulence probably because all the other flights uh, deviated around it. Uh, The weather radar has been operating all flight, showing no significant weather. The first officer uh, also monitored the weather via the weather app on his electronic flight bag, which also showed no significant weather near the actual position of turbulence. According to the pilot monitoring, the position at the time of the turbulence was, we're not going to read out the uh, lat longs there, the weather radar showed clouds ahead. Uh, Go ahead and show the the map, uh, Liz. Uh, the weather radar showed clouds ahead about 20 nautical miles before the clouds or before about 20 nautical miles before the clouds the crew requested via CP, CDPLC to deviate that's a controller what's that? the um, the stamp the acronym there the controller mm. Uh, it's the text messaging between us and the digital ATC. pilot. Yeah, ATC and whatever. I forgot exactly what that stands yeah. for. Uh, they asked via that uh, method to deviate to the right and change course without waiting for the clearance. Yeah, that's a good idea. While in the turn, the aircraft entered the clouds. The strobes were seen reflecting in the clouds. Ice crystals formed in the windscreen uh, at about um, midnight 20Z. Light turbulence started. The fastened seatbelt lights were turned on. Uh, however, no PA was done uh, as the cabin was darkened and the passengers were sleeping. No cabin service was in progress. A few seconds, the turbulence severity increased, and within 10 seconds, loose items and passengers were lifted. The flight data recorder recorded vertical accelerations between plus 1.6 G and minus 0.6 G within a 10 second period. The autopilot disconnected automatically. A number of passengers were lifted out of their seats and it impacted the passenger service units above their heads. Okay, so I'm looking at this fuzzy, uh, because it's a low-resolution image here. Um, 
so it's not your eyesight. It's just uh, it wasn't really uh, super resolution. Uh, so you can see the the red track of the uh, flight and almost perfectly aligned along the track are a couple little blobs. One, the northernmost one, little mostly green, maybe slightly yellow. And then the next one has a little bit more color to it, a little bit more. And there's not like a you know super dark red or anything like that. But still, it, it just looks like it wouldn't have been, uh, and this is my opinion, it wouldn't have been a big deal to like deviate a little bit earlier and just make your way and give that thing some some uh, margin, um, some room to move, maneuver around, and uh, and uh, most um, I think the best thing to do in this case, if they can, uh, is to uh, deviate upwind uh, to alleviate any effects that you might get from downwind. Um, turbulence around the convective activity. But what this reminds me of, I have to be honest with you, is uh, the Air France uh, 447 uh, out in the middle of the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Uh, at night, the captain has gone already to take his rest. And uh, the two first officers in there, they kind of, I don't know how they ended up ma managing to fly through the top of a thunderstorm, but that was like the Thing that started that series of events uh, in that tragic accident where uh, the uh, recovery was um, uh, not very uh, well executed to uh, you know get the airplane under control. Uh, and, and again, this case, it was like, were, were, did they have the radar on? Did they have it adjusted properly? I would imagine that this airplane probably has a pretty advanced weather radar system that uh, adjusts automatically the tilt. Uh, Etc. I don't know. It depends on, I guess, what the uh, airline orders uh, when they when they order this airplane, the type of radar system that's on it. But uh, Matt, I, I know the Airbus is a very sophisticated aircraft, and especially that if this is a three thirty nine hundred uh, Neo, I would imagine it's not that old of an airplane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, there's quite a few different fits on the Airbus for the weather radar. So I don't know which one this airline uses. But I mean, even if they're manual, manually, uh, you select the tilt, it would be pretty a standard setting for the cruise anyway, I would imagine. It's probably a bit of it comes down to bad luck because the aircraft ahead of them was only 2000 feet above and was fine. So yeah, it's hard. So for those that don't know, so Mauritius is in the Indian Ocean off the east coast of Africa. So if you imagine Madagascar a bit further out, Seychelles, all that sort of area. And that's where Mauritius is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, with the limited amount of information we have on this, um, it's really hard to, you know, analyze it. Um, mm. especially it's interesting. A lot of these events you see tend to be clear air turbulence, but it looks like this one was actually in clouds. So. Yeah. yeah. Did it say whether it was day or night? Because that... I it didn't well, they kind of implied uh, based on the strobe lights uh, reflecting uh, on the clouds. Uh, yeah, true, so yeah, yeah. I just assumed they meant it was, well, it was a 020Z, I think. Was that it? Or was that from the other uh, thing that we just talked about? Um, yeah, 020Z. Yeah, so. Um, okay, so middle so of the yeah, night. Yeah, so it is yeah, dark. dark. So that that is another effect. In the daytime, you'd probably see that towering queue. Mm -hmm earlier and avoid it maybe and i do Imagine. know that there are um areas of the world um so how far are we from the equatorial um region 
Um, I would imagine not, not far, far from, from Mauritius. That. And no, I know not that, far. Um, you know, in, in my flying and long haul flying days when I was in the Air Force, uh, basically, when you're flying in that kind of area of the world, a lot of times there's not a lot of electrical activity associated with convective activity. And uh, so it's not going to be really super obvious if you're just looking at the windscreen at a dark night, um, you know, because you don't see the lightning strikes and that kind of thing. And when you're using your radar, um, I've, I've, I think I recall them saying that the colors that you're normally associating with like, for instance, just something that's green on your radar uh, for north uh, the, the northern hemisphere, uh, usually that's not going to be a big deal. There might be a little bit of a bump here and there, but it's not going to be severe turbulence. But in, in the area close to the equator, uh, something that's painting green on your radar may actually be quite bad stuff, mm. and you want to avoid it if so you can. I, it's quite far back, south. Yeah, 20 degrees south. <laughs> it's... Um, I it's about it the north. same latitude as Sao Paulo in Brazil. Yeah. Okay. Give you an idea. It's it's almost directly east of Madagascar, correct? I'm trying to think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. So so fairly far south. I was thinking it was a little bit farther north than that, but I just I just looked at the uh, lat long. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I saw that when I saw that chart. I'm thinking, well, I, it, just to me, it doesn't seem like there was a very big effort to avoid the the. Uh, the the thunderstorm activity and or maybe they it was just too late by the time they realized that oh we're about to fly through something let's because they said they made the request and they went ahead and deviated without getting the clearance to do so because they knew that it was probably not a good idea to continue straight on the path i, I have had it in the past where sometimes nothing shows up on weather radar and then suddenly when you're really close yeah. something will pop there up and paint i think maybe it sounds like that happened the fact that they mm -hmm. They diverted without waiting for a reply would would give me the suspicion that they they saw it quite late. Right. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah, these things paint quite late. That's you know one of the reasons why I really don't like flying at night because you can sometimes encounter this kind of a hmm. these kind of conditions. And uh, I was flying last night late. Uh, from Atlanta to Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, it wasn't a full moon, but it was mostly full. Oh, here we go. Completely full? No, it was partially full. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, not a full moon, but it was not a, a new moon either. And uh, it was enough to really light up the sky. It was almost like a spotlight up there. And I'm thinking, well, at least if I'm not fl flying during the daytime, at least I have something to help uh, yeah, illuminate the, uh, mm -hmm. the cloud structure and all that kind of stuff. Because I have, you know, been surprised a couple of times in my career thinking, as you said, uh, Matt, there's nothing on the radar. Uh, so we're all good. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, what is this? What is this we're seeing right ahead of us? And now it's too late. You know, you fly right through it. So um, just interesting point about thunderstorms. So last month, whenever it was the full moon, I think at the very beginning of the month, we organized um, night jumps. Um, you want to do that usually on nights when there is a nice bright full moon that helps, like you said, illuminate uh, landing areas. Um, and it was one of those nights where it was a little on the warm side and it wasn't in the forecast, but some thunderstorms did develop actually, I think to the north of us and we're moving south. Um, initially it looked like they were going to be uh, actually they were coming out of the east it was kind of a weird uh, weather pattern um, 
looked like they would all stay to the north of us, but after we got our first round of jumps in, we did a couple of passes, two loads. We were going to do that same thing one more time, um, but we made the decision that just because it's nighttime, we give everything a bit of a wider berth. You know, we don't want to be caught up in something that we can't see very easily or uh, could potentially be quite dangerous. So it, and you know, nice. nighttime could be a different story because you can see a little bit more clearly exactly how close it's it's getting. A night skydive sounds like the worst idea ever. Yeah, I was I was just trying to think about if that would be more or less terrifying than doing it during the day. It might be better. I'm, yeah, I'm you willing can't to see. fly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a thing, and there's there's reasons why it's it's done. So those who do um, demo jumps, demonstration jumps, oftentimes are jumping into events at nighttime, so they need to have experience doing that. There's certain ratings that require it before you can get the rating. So um, it's an experience thing. And then there's some people who just think it's a, a fun idea. Um, I'll, I'll happily fly the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> or sit in the landing area with the lights on on my car and yeah, and spectate. <laughs> or get those that's lasers out too. and laser people. <laughs> no, that's, we're not recommending that. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. But um, uh, yeah, and then it turned out that was the the correct call because it was, you know, on radar, it looked relatively far away, but it was a, a big enough storm to kick up quite a bit of wind all of a sudden. <clears> so <throat> it was it was definitely the right call. Okay, well, I think we continue to move on with our news and uh, we're going to do this one from story. Uh, Paddle Your Own Canoe, um, a... Uh, Let's see. Flight attendants on an American Airlines flight from Venice to Philadelphia leapt into action and made valiant efforts to save the life of a colleague after she suddenly and unexpectedly collapsed just a short time after takeoff on Wednesday. American Airlines flight 715 was passing over France on Wednesday afternoon when veteran flight attendant Carol Wright collapsed in front of her colleagues. The other flight attendants immediately started emergency life support procedures and performed CPR in an attempt to save Carol as the pilots immediately diverted the uh, Boeing 787-8 Dreamliner to Dublin after declaring a medical emergency. The aircraft landed in Ireland a short time later and was met by airport fire services as well as paramedics who transported Carol to a local hospital. Tragically, despite the best efforts of Carol's colleagues and emergency responders in Dublin, it wasn't possible to save her life. Uh, in a, an internal memo obtained by airline insider John New York's or NYC on Twitter, American Airlines shared the news saying, it is with great sadness that we share the sudden passing of Philadelphia-based flight attendant and purser Carol Wright while on a flight this morning. She began her career with American Airlines 38 years ago, and she loved her profession and the many friendships she created. She is remembered as a pleasure to support and a joy to work alongside. Uh, any unexpected loss is extremely difficult, but please know that we are taking care of the colleagues who were flying with Carol. We are also in contact with Carol's family and will provide for their needs and any help they require as we assist with bringing her home. The flight was later canceled. Passengers were being rebooked into alternative services. Um, yeah, that's sad. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, um, you know, it's one of those things that's that's distressing, but it certainly, it happens, you know. And um, even though it wasn't successful in this case, it's a great idea for everybody to, um, you know, if you have the ability or opportunity to do so, there's uh, 
classes that are offered in community and bystander CPR services. And anymore, it's really just a, a compression only approach. You know, in this case, certainly there were people who were, um, you know, as part of their training, um, have a background in performing or uh, certification for CPR and, and perhaps use of the AAD, um, AED. Um, but if you have the opportunity to to get some of that training, you never know where you're going to potentially be called upon to use it. It happens in the community all the time, happens to people in their work environment, um, you know, sudden cardiac arrest or um, sudden collapse is not, um, you know, it, it can happen anywhere. I have personal experience of something like this. I had one of my cabin crew have a stroke on board once. Um, ironically, actually in Italy, we I diverted into Naples, but um the the biggest thing about this is that this is a crew member so all of the other crew are their friend and colleague mm -hmm. very different when they're dealing with a medical emergency with a passenger sure. when it's one of their friends or colleagues so one of the biggest things to deal with as the captain was actually looking after the crew because of course they're extremely distressed once we got on the ground um and the passenger was taken off uh, sorry the their colleague was taken off to hospital. So looking after crew and crew care was quite important on, on that situation. So, yeah. And yeah. I mean, you know, there's there, uh, the article definitely brings it up. Why didn't they just kind of regroup and, and head on back? Well, uh, you know, the folks who were attending to their colleague need time. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not going to be in a fit state bit. to, to exactly. operate their, the flight. Exactly. It's interesting the the mindset of long haul versus short haul because here it's like shortly after takeoff. Like it's quite far from Venice to Dublin. It's like yeah. <laughs> two hours. Shortly after takeoff, like two yeah. hours into the flight. Yeah. You know. Well, they still had so, another, you know, six hours to go, seven hours yeah, to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. That's that would be a flight for me. Yeah. yeah. Venice to Dublin. That'd be a whole darn day of flying for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My flights generally last less than 20 minutes. So, yeah, this is. But yeah, you do like 30 story. of them a day or something. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but the. Um, and yeah, and obviously the other com complex issues that go along with being in a wide body aircraft is the overweight, of course. I mean, we just got to the top of. We just got to the cruise uh, and I got the call to say, you know, one of the cabin crews had a stroke or suspected stroke. We, you know, recommend diverting immediately. And I think we got on the ground in 14 minutes or something like that, 13 wow. minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's very different in a, in a small single, um, single aisle aircraft in Europe where there's an airport everywhere. Um, so, yeah, much more complex, I would imagine, yeah. fuel dumping I, and you know, stuff like that. I know the the outcome was not the the one that was hoped for in this case, but um, fortunately, it wasn't over the you know somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic at that point too. That's exactly. an even more difficult situation. Yeah, middle of the Atlantic, middle of the Pacific. Mm -hmm. All right, and uh, let's go ahead and we're just going to hit the last item in our news since uh, we're kind of running a little bit long. Um, this is, uh, something that I ran across, um, probably in one of my social media places, I don't know, or maybe YouTube, I was just cruising around again. something that was presented to me that the AI thought would be, uh, that I would enjoy it. And, and the AI was right. I did enjoy this. This is, um, a YouTube video of, uh, a spirit flight attendant, uh, passenger announcement, 
and we're just going to go ahead and listen to the audio of this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's see who was paying attention. Go ahead and point to where that oxygen mask is going to come from. That's awesome. Three of you are going to get oxygen. That's great. <laughs> That's perfect. The rest of you, when you're done screaming, okay, I need you to let go of your neighbor and grab that mask. You're going to breathe normally. Normal breathing in an emergency. Who writes this stuff? You're going to breathe as normally as you possibly can. They want you to assist yourself first and then a child traveling with you. Ladies, listen to me. A child traveling with you. They come in many different shapes and sizes. Do you hear me? If you have more than one of these child traveling with you, assess your situation. Who's it going to be? Well, you can't help everybody, so y'all are going to have to decide. I mean, pick your favorite. You know you've got one. Probably don't want to tell them. But children, if you did not do your homework last week, I don't think you're going to get a mask. It's not a good thing. All right, we do not anticipate this flight turn into a cruise, folks. If we did, I wouldn't have worn this. I would have worn a bathing suit. All right? But if it happens, where's the life vest? Underneath the scene in front of you. Right. So whoever didn't get that uh, mask, just give them a life vest. Maybe they'll be okay. All right, you cannot smoke on board, but don't worry. If y'all need to smoke, step out on the wing. If you can light it, we'll let you smoke it. We're very accommodating here in spirit. Very common. Just step right outside. The rest of you are going to get something for free, so you didn't think this was going to happen. The minute they step out, in-flight movie, Gone with the Wind. Just watch them step on out there. Okay, flight attendant, call button, this little blue button right here. You push it, it goes ding, and normally one of us would show up. Yeah, no. Look, look at the time. Don't touch that button. You do not need me at this time. Y'all need to just go night-night termite, and when we land in Vegas, I will let you know. If you push this button, y'all don't get confused. You're on spirit. Whatever hand you use to push that button, you better have a credit card in the other hand. <laughs> don't get confused. All right, now you can't break anything on this plane, okay? They told you don't break anything. Don't disable anything. Let's face it. If you could pay for something you broke on this baby, y'all be flying Delta first class. <laughs> so don't break anything. All right, no, seriously, folks. We will serve you up until we are on final descent in Vegas. So party up. Have a great time. Do whatever you need to do. I will leave the lights off for those of you who don't want to party and want to try to go to sleep here on a Vegas flight. Good luck with that. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And we do, folks. We apologize for the delay. We're happy to see you here. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Oh, that was cute. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we're going to have a test. Uh, where okay, are the three oxygen of you. masks? Yeah, three of you are going to get oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought All that was right, pretty funny. Let's get to know so you good. guys. So good. All right, yes. let's do that, Liz. And it's time for that segment of the show where we get to know each other and what we have been doing uh, between shows. And... Uh, Let's see. We're gonna we're gonna say Matt for the end of this, uh, so he last. the best for last, yes. Um, and uh, oh, in that case, I guess I should go first <laughs> because uh, I'm probably not the uh, the furthest from the best. Um, so I will do that. I will uh, be the first uh, to tell you about what's been happening with me. And uh, let's see, we recorded Wednesday of last week. And of course, uh, I always get to do I'm my singing. I'm singing over the weekend. And I did that again, uh, several masses over the weekend and uh, had a great time with my, my choir family. And uh, the choir director's um, daughter and uh, future uh, son-in-law 
had a uh, housewarming party at their place in uh, a little bit north of uh, of Atlanta, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Nice party, and then uh, anyway, uh, end up flying uh, one, two, three. Well, sort of oh, flying um, three, yeah. two. Actually, fly assigned three trips, flying two of them. I got uh, to spend a, a, a wonderful amount of time at the Atlanta International Airport on Monday. Uh, didn't end up flying anywhere. I was supposed to deadhead airport to, appreciation. Yeah, it was airport appreciation, more like inside of a burning hot uh, 737 appreciation uh, at the A concourse in Atlanta. Uh, apparently, they were having issues with cold conditioned air and on the entire uh, part of that concourse. And we boarded the air. Now, Monday, if you live up in the New York area, you'll remember it was like just nastiness up there on the eastern seaboard. Uh, and uh, I thought, well, I, I don't care. I'm not flying. I don't have to worry about it. And so we boarded the aircraft, and as I said, it was very, very hot, and we sat there for a while. I'm looking at all my weather apps and everything else going, "Ah, we're not going to go anywhere. And I'm looking at the uh, National Airspace System uh, FAA site that's talking about ground delay programs, ground stops, and everything else. And I'm going, yep, uh, we're going to hear a uh, PA very, very shortly. And sure enough, Captain came on and said, yeah, I'm sorry, we're going to go ahead and deplane the aircraft. So we all got up because it was just burning up. Uh, hung out. Do you have the, the ninety degree? Area. Do you have the ninety 86 degree? Eighty six is actually oh, what we uh, kind of use. Okay. But uh, and it, it, it had to be in the nineties. Uh, I'm just sitting there, just sweating. You know, just not even you know doing any activity. Uh, then uh, he thought that we were going to actually you know get out of there, and so they boarded the aircraft again, and then we did the same thing over again, and then we uh, deplaned. Um, and this went on for hours and, um, long story short or, well, actually it's turning into a long story. Um, the uh, flight was canceled and uh, what, what I was supposed to go do was to, uh, go lay over up in Newark and then fly that first flight in the morning back to Atlanta. And I kept looking at the, uh, the break that I was going to end up having and the rest period. And I'm thinking, well, that's not going to work. Oh, that's really not going to work now. And of course, every time we try to call crew tracking to kind of get some kind of a feel for what we're going to do here, uh, in, in situations like this, you're, you're on hold for like 45 minutes to an hour before anybody picks up. And then of course, you know, you'll get the thing where it picks up and then all of a sudden it hangs up. <laughs> so it was one of those days ended up finally getting, um, the flight canceled. We canceled the trip. I went home. I got compensated though for actually flying a two-day trip even though i didn't really fly a two-day trip but that's just the way our contract works again i am in the wrong field yeah you are um next day i ended up picking up another two this one went much better uh it was an overnight to lexington and uh i got in kind of late so i wasn't able to see greg peterson that one of our community members that lives up that way and uh, so uh, no hitches there and uh, got back the next day. So one leg up, one leg back, nice and easy. And then I was I was thinking that was it for flying for this month. And then uh, got a call and uh, they offered me uh, just a quick late night flight to Jackson, Mississippi, and then just deadhead back the next day. And I went, oh, that has my name on it, I think. So I did that. So th- those are the trips that I flew this week. And... Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be, uh, 
on a trip. I'm not flying the airplane. I'll be a passenger. And this is purely um, leisure travel for me. This is when I'm heading over to the UK and heading over toward uh, the, uh, what is it, the uh, the Casa Anderson, uh, the Ander- uh, Nick and Jilly Anderson uh, Manor in uh, outside of London. And they're going to come and pick me up from the uh, Heathrow Airport. Hopefully I'll make it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, try to uh, non-rev on uh, our code share partner, Virgin Atlantic Airways. And um, hopefully that'll work and they'll have a seat for me. And uh, so uh, flying uh, tomorrow night and then getting in um, about eight o'clock or sometime uh, around that time frame uh, Sunday morning. And then we'll head over to uh, the Anderson's place. And on Tuesday, uh, we have a meetup scheduled. And uh, there we go. Uh, the Yanks are coming, uh, UK meetup. And this is actually the 4th of uh, US, United States of America, 4th of July celebration, Independence Day in London. <laughs> yes, I'm crazy. Um, I think in London they call it Traders, Traders Day. Traders Day, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to be at the uh, RAF Museum um, at Hendon uh, in uh, in the London area, and then around two o'clock, around two o'clock in the afternoon, and then we're going to move over later when they kick us out of there uh, to the uh, Beaufort Pub, uh, which is just a short walk away, a two minute walk from the museum, and uh, we're going to continue our meetup festivities. And uh, that again, that's Tuesday, the 4th of July. Neil Landworm's coming. And Neil Landworm's going to be there. And I think maybe um, uh, Sam Dawson is going to try to be there. Magnus uh, Flatten. Magnus, yeah, is coming in. He's flying in from, uh, where is he flying in from? Sweden, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting a bunch of great APG community members while I'm there. And then that's on Tuesday. And then uh, Wednesday, probably Wednesday or Thursday, uh, Nick and I are going to... So the next couple of shows... No, Wednesday you're going to go watch Nick Bowl. Oh, Wednesday I'm going to watch Nick Bowl do some lawn bowling. And then uh, I guess Thursday we're going to try to do a recording. And the, the next two shows while I'm in the UK are going to be a little bit different than our normal setup. Uh, we're going to mostly talk about it's going to be like a big giant getting to know us kind of show where we're going to talk about what we've been doing what we're planning on doing etc uh, just kind of right? yeah just nick and i just shooting shooting the whatever um and uh so we're kind of playing this whole thing by ear but that's what our plan is to just try to make it so that i don't have a lot of post uh show editing to worry about when i'm over there and then on friday we're uh, going to be driving up to the silverstone uh, circuit uh, area uh actually i believe um it's outside of uh was it bunbury banbury 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 uh uh nigel uh demery lives up that way um Tad Morton or something like that. Tad, uh, I can't remember go. the exact uh, upper place. Tad Martin. Upper Tad Martin uh, is where um, Nigel's uh, estate is, and uh, we're so we're going to be up there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, the Friday for the for the practice sessions at the Silverstone Circuit. Uh, Saturday for the last practice session and the qualifications or qualies, and then on Sunday for the race. And yeah, Friday is when we're doing the uh, the APG slightly north uh, no the APG Great slightly north meetup, 
Again, that's the 7th of July, Friday at 6 p.m. That's tentatively what we're planning. Hopefully we'll get back from the uh, circuit in time for that. And we're planning to have it over at Nigel's place, uh, uh, Upper Tad Martin, uh, OX155 Sierra November. Uh, And um, the backup plan, if uh, there's uh, wet weather, we're probably going to head up the street uh, to the Lampert Lampet Arms, Lampet Arms, and uh, so um, hit us up for information about uh, you know the location of both of those things uh, yeah, we'll for post the. On social media we'll, por- we'll post all that on social media, and uh, then I think Nigel's finally coming back. He's in the Canadian Rockies right now on a motorcycle yeah, ride, yeah. and uh, he'll be coming back, I believe, on Sunday. So we'll get a chance to kind of hang out with Nigel. Um, for at least a couple of days before we head back down to uh, Liss, where the uh, Andersons live. And then uh, planning on leaving the London area like a, on, on that next Friday. So a couple of weeks there, and I'm looking forward to it. Now, sadly, um, I'll miss Matt because he's going to be over uh, stateside, but we'll get to him in a minute. Um, let's see. I think there was one or two more things I should talk about. Uh, oh, yeah. Sim Venture. You know, we have Oshkosh Air Venture coming up the end of July. And uh, before that, on the 13th through the 16th, uh, there's an outfit, uh, PilotEdge.net. Uh, they put on this, uh, have done for a few years now, Sim Venture 2023. And what is that, you ask? Well, here, let me uh, just give you the a little uh, announcement from them. Flying to Oshkosh this year or know someone who is? The famous fiscal arrival and air venture can be very complex, busy, and fast-paced. Whether you're a rookie or a veteran, everyone can benefit from some training and proficiency prior to following the railroad tracks and rocking their wings. Luckily, you can prepare ahead of time using your home flight simulator. X-Plane 11 Microsoft Flight Sim 2020 Prepared or FSX is your gateway to participate in SimVenture. SimVenture is put on by Pilot Edge and has the actual Oshkosh Air Traffic Controllers volunteering for your benefit to help you prepare for air venture. It all happens July 13th through 16th. Visit piletedge.net slash SimVenture to learn more. All right. So if you uh, are heading up to Oshkosh and flying in, especially, you might want to uh, take part of the uh, Sim Venture. And uh, by the time you actually really fly into Oshkosh, you'll already feel like you've done it. So uh, there you go. Um, So, Steph. Yes. So what have you been up to? You've been doing a lot of work. Um, a lot of work, like actual work, like day job work. It's been quite busy. I think I finally caught up on the backlog from when I was um, under the weather a few weeks ago and canceled the day and then had a, a funeral to attend and all kinds of stuff happened all in the same week. And it made life very busy for the past couple of weeks. But today was, um, even though my, the day was longer than I anticipated, much more uh, closer back to the usual workflow and, and volume. So that was good. Um, I think looking at next week ahead, it's back to kind of normal volume. So I'll be, I'll be grateful for that. Um, I did have the weekend off last weekend and the weather was not terrible. And I decided to spend most of it um, outside on my dock and I um, got a little sun because it's quite warm. Um <laughs> You can tell I was wearing my sunglasses, like my my big sunglasses, the whole time. I should do something to even that out, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good look. Heck, it's summer. No one cares. Um, and this upcoming weekend, I will be flying. It's my weekend to fly. So um, Saturday, Sunday, um, 
all day, hopefully. Um, not huge volume of um, tandems booked. I think having to do mostly with it being a holiday weekend and people being out of town doing other things and not um, booking tandem skydives. But hopefully we'll have a lot of fun jumpers and the weather should be hot but nice. Um, my little brother is coming to visit. Um, he'll be here on Sunday. I say little. He's, you know, 34. So my youngest adult He's not brother. Really big. <laughs> he's, he's tall. He's like 6'3". <laughs> um, he'll always be my little brother. It's okay. I, I probably uh, weigh more than he does. I'm not I almost weigh more than he does. Oh, my. I'm just kidding. He <laughs> weighs impossible. a little bit more. He weighs more than me. Yeah. But not by a lot. Hmm. Um, we'll... we'll We'll double check and verify that when he gets here. Um, but anyway, shout out to him because um, we have another licensed uh, skydiver in the family as of yesterday. Oh, he yeah. completed his A license. So, yeah. Hopefully he's not too wrecked on Sunday when he gets here after a red-eye flight um, and can maybe actually make a his very first uh, licensed fun jump. Um, oh, jump out of the airplane I'm flying. Or maybe I'll find someone to fly the plane and I can actually jump with him. That would be a lot of fun. That would be even better. Yeah. Um, but part of the reason he's going to be out here is because on Tuesday, 4th of July, we're going to run the Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta, where Jeff will not be. So, won't see you. Um, maybe we'll see Dispatcher Mike, though, because I do believe that he is going to be running along with one of his sons. So oh, cool. So, that should be good. Um, the weather's looking toasty um, and humid, so typical. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else? Um, then we'll, That's basically just going to be a... A long day trip, fly down the the night before, leave the morning after. I think I'm back on that super early flight, so I can just go straight to work on Wednesday morning. <sighs> That's going to be not great, but this is Yuck. what it is. Well, you know, I debated he can go. I could go back Tuesday night, but. That's also, you kind of just want to spend the day with friends that are there running and enjoy the time and not have to leave for the airport at like. 4.30 or even 6.30. It's it's 4th of July. There's things happening. Fireworks and festivities and whatnot. So. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, should be a fun week coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Um, hasn't been a whole lot else going on since we recorded last week. Like I said, just a lot of a lot of catch-up on work. So um, thankful that hopefully most of that's behind me. So. Excellent. Camacho. Yeah. I have not, uh, unfortunately, not done very much in the uh, realm of aviation, I actually uh, spent most week uh, when I wasn't working taking a sailing class to get associated with uh, how to operate a sailboat now that my dad has a little sailboat. So, nice. uh, yep, I have a couple of pictures. We um, sailed a little 23-foot boat. We sailed little 14-foot like dinghy, little tiny sailboats, and then... Um, and then sail a 30-foot boat. And so the first couple of pictures were the class uh, sailing the 30-foot sailboat. And then, uh, yeah, so there's a, that's a Catalina 30 um, that we went out and sailed around, ripping along at like five and a half knots, which felt like you were smoking uh, through the lake. And then uh, last night was the first night that uh, my dad and I took his little boat out, which is a little 22-foot sailboat and we just took it out for a few minutes and successfully got it out into the middle of the lake and then got it back into its parking spot without breaking That's anything. Great so, picture, the two of them. Yay. That was pretty exciting. That looks awesome. I mean that <laughs> yeah. looks super fun. 
yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, uh, it's, a, I mean, it's not amazing, but it, uh, it was surprising to me the amount of times people said, uh, oh, sailing, it's just like flying. Sails are just wings. <laughs> I was like, eh, I mean, like the very basic concept of like the wind acting around a sail similarly to a wing. I almost get that point, but man, there's so much vocabulary and yeah. Uh, you use knots. That's about the only similarity, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and tacking. You just have to I, learn a, f- a few of the words so that you sound like you know what you're talking about. You'll be fine. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I was just curious, like how many people, because nearly every person that knows me, you know, knows that I'm an airplane person and nearly every person that, uh, heard that I was sailing made that comment to me. And it just made me curious, like how many, sailors when they go to fly an airplane how many people are like oh this you'll be totally fine flying an airplane it's just, just like, like sailing, sailing a boat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um but yeah that was a that's a big thing for me um with the holiday coming up this next week i'm hoping to uh get back in the groove of things out of the hangar and get a few little projects finished up and uh get back to uh aviating a little more regularly here all right. Uh, Tim Van Ram says, way to go, Nick. Come up to uh, Northern California and I'll take you yes. out on the bay. So uh, one thing I did, well, my dad got this boat back in like November, right? And we, so it was cold and miserable until like April. And then we put the boat in the water at the end of April. And then it, you know, it took me this long to take a class and figure out what I was doing. But one thing I did was watch a ton of YouTube videos about sailing. And one of the, uh, one of the places that put, did a bunch of really good, uh, sailing tutorial type of videos was in the San Francisco Bay. And so um, I have some friends up there and I had thought about that. Uh, it would be fun to go up there and, and go sailing uh, someday. <laughs> yeah. Laura has a, a, a good uh, tip for you. Uh, she said, I think you just need to walk around saying shiver me timbers a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, the, the boat next to us does have a big pirate, uh, Jolly Roger <laughs> flying on it. We have not, uh, hey, like an eye patch and, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Captain Sparrow. This last one. My, my dad actually has a generally, uh, <laughs> sour demeanor or like a sour appearance, even when he's like having a good time. So I actually, I actually consider this, this photograph a, a victory because he, doesn't look like he's angry. Doesn't necessarily look like he's <laughs> he having fun. Looks angry. <laughs> doesn't necessarily look like he's having fun, but doesn't look like he's miserable. Just well, resting, Neil thinks it looks like, angry face. What you know, have I let myself know. in for? Yeah. yeah. One last comment yeah. from Neil. No, it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. And uh, Neil also says, sailing an airplane is just like flying a boat. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> right. Anyone who's ever tried to, I don't know, docking a, a seaplane is... That's know. good. That's that probably the closest to found that yeah, challenging. sailing yes. flying. A good, right? a good challenge. Yeah. Let's hear from Matt. All right. So, uh, you know, what I forgot to mention before we moved to Matt is uh, that um, in the latter part of July, like the 23rd, uh, I'm going to be attending a meetup at the 57th Fighter Group oh, yeah. uh, at the Peachtree to Cab Airport. And, oh, wait a minute. That has something to do with Matt. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that, Matt, or, and your trip over here to the U.S., yeah, thanks very much. Well, uh, as we've mentioned, I'm coming over with the family for a trip to the States, road trip. So next Friday, flying into Dallas, and then we're road tripping across the south. So all the way across 
Louisiana and going to New Orleans and then coming up and ending in Atlanta. And while we're in Atlanta, we're going to run a meetup. So it'd be great to have as many people that are in the area to come along, join in. You can fly in if uh, if you so wish. And uh, yeah, as Jeff said, uh, on his recommendation for a venue, he's going to be at the 57th Fighter Group restaurant uh, at Sunday, the 23rd of July, 6 p.m. Eastern time. So it'd be excellent to have as many people as come along. Uh, it's not A320 related. It's just uh, aviation enthusiast meetup. So it would be great to see as many of you there as possible. So like I say, if anyone's in the area or able to travel, it would be fantastic. Armando's going to try I and can... come for those of you who know Armando. I'm being my And uh, yeah, Jeff, you're going to be there. I'm planning so, yeah, on it. Should yeah. Be good. Yeah. So yeah, it should be good fun. Yeah, so uh, make sure that you join us uh, at uh, PDK, KPDK, and uh, inside the perimeter, uh, north of the downtown area. And we've had a couple of uh, just uh, very casual meetups there over the years, and it's a great uh, it's a great place to just uh, if it's not too hot, uh, kind of hang out on the patio area with a nice ice cold beer or other beverage. And uh, then if it gets too hot, there is a, a air conditioned inside area as well. So, and it's right there checking, on the airport, and it's nice. Yes, I was just checking my calendar, and I'm not flying that weekend. Six hmm. p.m. is a little tricky on a Sunday yeah. with work on Monday, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Cool, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I'll try, and I'm going to bring some goodies along, give away a few goodies and things. So. Yeah, it'd be great to see anybody there. Families are welcome as well. I have my two, uh, my nine and ten year old daughter with me, daughters with me. So it's a family affair. Bring anyone with you that you want to. That'd be good. So, Matt, uh, for those who don't know or have heard of your absolutely fantastic podcast, the A320 podcast, um, I think the actual the name of the podcast kind of does a pretty good job of describing what you all talk about there, but maybe you could give us a little bit more information about, uh, about the podcast and, uh, the, uh, the lounge, the, uh, a320 lounge and a little bit more information about you. Sure. Yeah. So the, as you say, it's, the name is pretty self-explanatory. A320 podcast is dedicated to the a320 aircraft, either for people that fly it themselves or are training onto it. Uh, or people that just really like geeking out on deep technical stuff about uh, aircraft. Uh, yeah, we do. We've got 114 episodes, so we're nowhere near as uh, many as you guys. But yeah, lots of different subjects, topics. We go into te- deep technical. We look at uh, some accident investigations. We have some guests come on, talk about some interesting things. I went to the uh, Airbus factory um, in the UK where we build the wings for the Airbus had a tour there and we did an interview with them we also had Richard Decrepney on which is one of my favorite episodes uh, those of you who don't know him he's the captain that had the A380 major incident uh, in Singapore where they lost I, I think they hold the record for the most uh, checklist items uh, on an Airbus ever I think it took them something like an hour just to go through all the checklists he wrote that a book as well, right? Um, he did, yes. He he's written a couple of books. Okay. Um but just fascinating that I mean that's not A three twenty related, that is just a fascinating uh episode. So if anyone listens just to one episode, I highly recommend you listen to that one because it was really good. Uh he just naturally talks as the easiest interview ever. You say like two words, he'll talk for twenty minutes. 
So, <laughs> so yeah, it was really, really good. Um, yeah, uh, about myself. So what I've been up to. Uh, well, for a normal member of society, I've just reached middle age because I turned 40 yesterday. Uh, for a pilot, I'm probably well into the second half of my life. <laughs> Welcome um, to your 40s. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that yesterday. Uh, that was all yesterday, celebrated with the family. Um, busy flying. So I did what I would cons- uh, call long haul. I did Tel Aviv uh, last week, which is about five hours each way. Mm. Uh, we do that as a return trip. So it's a 13-hour day for oh, us. So I could have got to yeah, Hong that's... Kong if we'd just not stopped <laughs> and we had bigger fuel tanks so, the so yeah. yeah yeah make it there so yeah pretty pretty long day but uh wow. but yeah so been doing a few cool trips yeah so just Excellent. generally keeping busy with that Great. and uh like i say off on our vacation as you call it mm-hmm. uh, next friday oh, yeah. we're heading out yes um i will try and come to hendon if i can it's not that far from me actually it's about mm. half an hour so if uh I am off that day, so I'll try and come right, down and yeah. see you guys. Good to see you. Which would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Excellent. Just tell, just tell him again if he has to um, leave. It's pretty yeah. late over where he is. Okay. And I know it's getting late for you, uh, Matt, and you're more than welcome to continue uh, to be with us on the show. But again, it's after midnight now, I think, your time. It is, yeah. yeah 10 past so, midnight. Uh, so anytime no you want to go, you know, feel free. Um, you're doing but, me a favor, as I said earlier, getting me in sync because I've got my six monthly simulator assessment tomorrow night, 10.30 p.m. till 2.30 a.m. Oh, so this is perfect. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. you're just getting me ready for it tomorrow. <laughs> okay, well, good. Jeff yeah. looked like he got a little so, bit yeah. of like vomit in his mouth when you mentioned yeah. these times. <laughs> Can you imagine debriefing after the sim? trying to take in anything at half no. past three in the morning. <laughs> I, I can't imagine ever Sometimes briefing I or debriefing in a simulator in ever again yeah. in my life. That's well, why. this is the irritating thing. I We're allowed to bid. We can bid for uh, what sort of duties we want, and I bid for permanent earlies. So I'm used to getting up at half past three in the morning, not going to bed at half three in the morning. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to Nigel. Thanks ever so much for having me on the show. And, yeah, if we can have a few people join us at the meetup on the uh, 23rd. It'd be absolutely brilliant. It would be. Um, Nigel, I talked about him earlier. Uh, it was all nice stuff for sure. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah. 100% um, my recollection. Uh, he's that. with us now in the live audience. And uh, yeah, I mentioned that he is in BC, the Canadian in Rockies. Columbia. He's in BC right now, British Columbia, a beautiful province of uh, Canada. And uh, let's see. So I guess it's, he's had a couple he of says, messages here. He says he's in Osoyoos. Liz is going to have to help on this one. Osoyoos. Osoyoos? Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Osoyoos. Where it's quite warm, 35 Celsius. 35. That's 95 degrees, I think, isn't it? Or something yeah, close? Yeah, something like that. It's pretty, pretty yeah, hot. It's darn hot. Um, yeah, he says uh, it's nice to be able to join APG on a Friday at a sensible time. Yeah, well, you just got to be in this time, zo- these time zones over here, this He's way. going to go back and review your it's... comments to make oh, sure four, you're being yeah. 10 after 4. <laughs> yeah. He's, he said he's going to have to go back and review the comments that I made about him and his Un- beautiful home. Yeah. I mean, no, you don't uh, believe 35 me, 35 is 95 Fahrenheit. Yep. I nailed it. Ding. There's my bill. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Uh, excellent. Jeff, well, good to see you, you Nigel. Wanna, yeah. Do you want to talk about last week's cover I, art? I want to talk about. Well, uh, 
I guess we could. Yeah, sure. Why not? We we don't have the artiste with us on uh, today's show uh, who came up with uh, or comes up with 99.9% of our uh, show's cover art. Uh, but we're going to talk about it anyway. I think, Last, I think that means we can just openly talk about how terrifying that guy looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, looks like he just reminds me of Boris. Yeah, I guess he does kind of. Yeah, Boris. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah. Anyway, it's um, an interesting looking captain. This was inspired by the the Madison the, situation. Uh, yeah. So the we on this show uh, we talked. Uh, we had an uh, incident uh, that occurred up at Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, I have to say, uh, I uh, I don't know what was in my head, wrong. but I. I was thinking that uh, how ironic that it was a mad Captain Mad in Mad. So I was thinking like Mad Madison, Wisconsin, but Mad, of course, is Madrid. And Madison is MSN, not MAD. So mea culpa for that error. Uh, I, I didn't reach the 50% uh, accuracy, I'm afraid, on that. So I do apologize for uh, that. And the little was, uh, was the little, uh, yeah, the flight attendant from um, uh, Argentina, Argentina uh, mentioned something in her phone call. So tell the little captain that uh, something about having bomb on board or bomb, bombs or something on board. So anyway, so that's where we got the little. So it just turned into little captain mad. Uh, and uh, so out. The windscreen, I guess I, that's um, kind of giving you the idea that it's not a, a, a major commercial airport, commercial airport yeah. although it's more of a commercial airport than what we're seeing out the windscreen yeah. of this. Of this, uh, I'm not sure what kind of airplane it is we're looking at here. It's a very, uh, very broad, um, uh, wide kind of a cockpit setup uh, with with instruments that. Uh, don't make any sense to me at all. And on the uh, navigation display, it's basically a VFR sectional chart, I think. <laughs> right. I mean, it almost looks like an iPad with four flight up. Exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting. An AI creation. It's definitely uh, artificial intelligence, and intelligence is in quotes, uh, kind of uh, art, uh, creative art. Um, but anyway, uh, pretty interesting uh, cover there. The two glass screens are Airbus. Are they? I can tell you that, yeah. Okay. And are they like where the engine instruments are? Is that an Airbus setup? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the to the left of the sectional chart as well. Okay. The primary flight Some display. Some of the stuff on the, the right just kind of looks like weird old school audiovisual equipment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like some tape decks old TV. Yeah. Like Cathode an IBM screen supercomputer screen. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking it from your background. Yes. <laughs> that's my tv and vcr uh-huh uh, um do we do we find where the uh show number i didn't look at it either so i guess we'll skip that part yeah it's an All interesting right. klm uh like cherokee in the background or uh, or yeah yeah, and that had something to do with the uh, Tim Van Ram sent us those uh, links to the, yeah, uh, KLM, the KLM commercials. Ad. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. With, the, uh, with the swans. Swans. Uh, yeah, swan taking off and landing. Uh, so I'm sure that that's a reference to that. Anyway, uh, as, as usual, a very, very creative artwork by our um, APG artist in residence, uh, Captain Nick. Uh, who is uh, not with us today, but um, I'll be seeing resting him soon. Up. He's resting up for the for the trauma that he's about to endure. 
Laura said he's probably pre-drinking. Pre-drinking, yeah, he probably is. <laughs> Let's if, be honest. If he uh, if he was a smart man, that's what uh, he he should be doing. Coffee um, fun time. All right, it's coffee fun. Uh, let's hit the button that says coffee fun. There we go. Jeff Smith, the jingle master. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. Did the APG Java jive for us? I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. It's coffee time. <laughs> coffee fun is what we call the uh, ability uh, and um, uh, mechanics to uh, support our show financially if you have the resources to do so. And uh, just a very, very small fraction of uh, folks who are part of our community uh, participate, are part of our coffee bar club or coffee fund cadre. And we appreciate you so much. Thank you uh, for for taking the time to uh, give us some value for whatever value you receive for uh, listening to our show. It's a, uh, thank you very much. So a couple different ways to do that. Uh, one is the Coffee Fund Classic method. And I believe we have somebody yes, that uh, was, okay, here we go. Kevin Dryden uh, gave us a nice donation. Thank you, Kevin. Use the Coffee Fund Classic method. And uh, I believe in the uh the other way to become part of our coffee fund is the uh, cof- uh, Patreon. Patreon. You can become a patron of the show via Patreon. And uh, we don't have any new patrons this week. Unlike that Air Talk show, it seems like they have 20, 30 new patrons every darn episode. Good for them. Anyway, uh, if you want to become part of our uh, coffee bar club, coffee uh, fund cadre, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and uh, you can learn about how you can become part of it. And uh, you'll be glad you did, and we will too. Okay, Liz, let's get on with the show, okay? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Test Come on, Liz, test. we're waiting for you. Yeah. Do a little intro now. Yeah, quit the gabbing. Just say what you were doing now here so everybody knows. We're uh, going to okay. Talent. All right. Uh, what, so. We uh, just had a nice little break, or I did at least, and uh, we are uh, going to go ahead and uh, do this episode's plain tale um, before we move on to the feedback uh, portion of our show. And even though the old pilot is <laughs> the old pilot, the old pilot is not with us on our show today. Uh, he has left us this uh, very creative uh, work, and the uh, title of which is the wood duck take it away old pilot part one part one part one the old pilot's plain tales the wood duck part one during my time in australia flying the fa-18 hornet with 77 squadron i met many fine and capable pilots most of whom were old hands but after a little while we began to acquire young pilots who were coming straight through the training system they were keen and eager and it was a delight to have such enthusiastic officers on the squadron one that sticks out in my mind was a fine young man who has moved on very well in the australian air force he's now a group captain and is currently working as the air attaché at the Australian Embassy in London. 
His name uh, on the squadron, his nickname was Woody, uh, but more formally, Wood Duck. And he kindly invited me up to London to join him for an ale or two at a local pub near the embassy, where we caught up on our time together on 77 Squadron and how his career progressed. I hope you enjoy his story. Woody, first of all, tell me what you're doing here in the United Kingdom. <laughs> hey Nick, I'm the uh, Royal Australian Air Force Air Advisor, or officially Air and Space Advisor. So basically I'm the uh, Chief of Air Force representative in the UK for the Royal Australian Air Force. That sounds a very highfalutin job. And how many stripes on your shoulders nowadays? Uh, four stripes these days, so uh, good four thick man. ones. Good man. <laughs> now, take us back to when we first met on the 77 Squadron, um, which would have been back in 1989. Yeah. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, so I came off uh, Hornet Conversion December 88 and joined 77 in January 89, and you were the exchange officer there from the RAF. Yeah, I know. Wasn't it fantastic? Um, so you had just you'd done your your basic training and your advanced jet training and weapons course, and that was it. And then you were straight on the Hornets. Yeah, I still remember. I I basically graduated the day I turned twenty one. It was my last ride on OCU up in Townsville. I spent my 21st birthday lying around the pool in Townsville, um, having finished my last ride. So that was a pretty good birthday present. That and then uh, turned up at 77 in January, and there's a brand new Hornet with my name painted on the side as a pilot officer. And there was not, you got not your a name better on feeling. Yep, certainly uh, did. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, that's and if you want to fast forward to 2019, which we'll get to, I guess, when I was CEO of OCU, I was still flying that jet. That jet wow. was on swivel. Wow, isn't that nice? So you, they still have that jet. It was on the OCU, and got you, did you get your name put back on it? Not on that particular jet, no. Oh, what a shame! <laughs> what a shame. Hey, look, um, uh, I, I, we're just going to sit and chat. But I mean, I I have lots of amazing memories from Australia. But you know, it would be interesting to hear it from someone else's perspective. So. What do you remember about that time on the 77? Oh, just, I mean, obviously getting to a frontline fast jet squadron as a 21-year-old was just the dream, my dream come true. I've been fortunate enough to actually realise that dream, whereas a lot of people obviously don't. And actually get on the squadron, and I mean, 77 was just an absolutely fantastic squadron. There wasn't one person on there that we didn't get along and didn't have a great time with. Um, so apart from flying at, the, at that time about the best jet in the world, uh, we had about the best team in the world, I reckon, as well. And we just had great fun. I remember you know, we went to New Zealand in March of 89. So it was the first time we took Hornets across New Zealand. Um, yep. And uh, we spent three weeks over there. So to be able to do that and mix it up with the then New Zealand Kiwi A4 force, when they still had them, um, was fabulous. Yeah. Uh, it was a sad day when I heard that they'd had their fast jets taken away from them. Yeah. Not as sad as the Kiwis who are on the squadron felt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I still know keep in touch with a few of those guys and they were there and then at the time when that happened and uh yeah yeah would have been very sad yeah sure. i i remember when i returned to the uk you remember gavin howes i do yeah yeah he he had actually been posted to the uk and uh i pitched up with uh you know standard um boxes and he came knocking on the door thinking i was a <laughs> an australian little did he realize um <laughs> got any amazing memories and old old stories from those days I've got one. I seem to remember um, one of our last flights over in New Zealand before we came home was a fly pass of uh, Ohaki Air Base. And there was a FCI who subsequently became a two-star. 
and there was an RF exchange officer who went by the name of Nick, I think, and um, there was a bit of a pass over the flight line there, probably a little bit lower than authorised. And I still remember standing next to the squadron CO as he stormed off the, fl- off the flight line with a very stern look on his face going, ooh, this isn't going to end well. I seem to remember you rode the C-130 home after that, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I didn't get a ride in a jet, that's for sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, move, let, let's move on. Yeah. We were together up in um, Darwin. Were yeah, we flying right. together there? Yeah, so exercise, exercise Kangaroo 89 is my next kind of major memory from 77 when you and I were paired up. You were my lead. I was a junior wingman, and we did the... It was about the 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift from oh, memory, I, I think. I seen a remember. For about 10 a... days straight. It yeah. was horrible. <laughs> I, I, mean, don't know, I don't know what we'd done wrong to be put on that it, shift. It was about 10 days straight. We only got airborne about four or five times, I think, because no, there was no trade at night whatsoever. No, everyone was in the bar. Yep. And we, I remember a couple of times we'd actually get put onto alert at the end of the runway at about 5 a.m. to sit there for an hour to then hand oh. over at 6 a.m. as they got airborne <laughs> to intercept the incoming road. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the fabled Royal Australian Air Force love of the, uh, the, the dawn raid, they always anticipated a dawn raid. So yep. we'd be there. I'm trying to remember what they called it because we actually had to have an engine running that's right. Uh, on the end of the runway and yep. uh, we're sitting there. And do you remember we used to plug some kind of uh, in- communication? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I seem to recall, because as we were sitting there, with our chins nodding down onto our um, life vests, um, anything you did or said in the cockpit used to be transmitted to all the Hornets on the line. Yeah, that's right. I think we're on uh, like the Air Defence Network, something that's an open, open mic chat. So what was the favourite trick to wake everybody up? I, I did it a couple of times. was to press the um, emergency uh, yeah, that's test right. button. The fire test button. The, the engine yeah. fire test. Yep. So Bitching Betty would suddenly <laughs> go right. off saying, engine fire a left, engine fire a left. And of course, <laughs> that was transmitted to everybody. Yep. And before they realised what was going on, I remember these heads snapping around, everyone looking at the scene. What that's was right. Going on. I had forgotten that one. You're right. You're right. <laughs> But there were a couple of there were a couple of good things. I, I remember making the sunrise a couple of times when we did get airborne. Oh, wasn't that, and that fun? That was pretty spectacular. Um, yeah, absolutely. But one of the scariest ones I've done to date at that time as well was we got sent off to intercept a, what turned out to be a P three at low level over the ocean at night, lights out, um, and we're down at I think it was around five hundred feet, sitting on the wing of this P three. What no was lights. I doing? Something sensible, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I think you were sitting down the back at a higher altitude, just watching. Yeah, that's right. Watching, make sure I got it right. <laughs> watching the world on the radar. Thinking, don't want to go down there. I've done that, done that too many times. Yeah. Did you actually ident- manage to identify? I did. Yeah, no, did I do? Yep. Excellent. Left them with a burner, burner plume to say goodbye <laughs> as I we went back to the, the uh, mess for breakfast while they stayed out there for another number of hours. Now, breakfast in the mess, that reminds me, because we'd worked all night. And everyone else had been in the bar. When we had breakfast, we used to indulge ourselves a little, I think. We did. Because you could have, because it was 24-7 ops, you could have whatever you wanted for breakfast. So we actually, because it was our dinner, we had dinner at 6 a.m. or uh, 7 a.m. or something. And we'd have wine with dinner. Yeah. <laughs> everyone else is yep. having their cereal. Right. And we're having a steak and a bottle of wine. That's yes, right. yep. Absolutely. And then trying to sleep through the day, that was a nightmare. Yeah, it was fun. First time to use sleeping drugs. Uh, thankfully, they helped. Yeah, tamazepam. Yeah, tamazepam, uh, that's right. Yeah, I, and they, they only told me afterwards that it's vaguely addictive. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I still haven't got rid of the habit, but there you go. No, they were great times, really good times. Absolutely. 
Now, uh, did you come, I'm sure you did, uh, to Malaysia with us? We did, yeah. So at the end of that year, which I believe was your final Malaysian deployment. It was. It was my last time, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that was uh, my first deployment to Malaysia. Brilliant. And um, that was superb as well. So we spent six weeks up there. Yes, um, we did, indeed. Which was a long haul at that time. Because we used to rotate two Hornets squadrons through there for six weeks at a time, plus an F-111 squadron for four weeks at a time, every year at that time. It was a great holiday, I yeah, thought. it was. Yeah. Going out every evening uh, into the local um, you know, eateries. Yep. Like, they were some roadside um, shacks. That's right. <laughs> Most yep. of them. Yep. Some of the hottest Chinese food I've ever had. I know. I know. It was great stuff. Don't was eat it? the orange chilies. Yeah. And do you remember the, the beer girls that used to come around? Because yep. yep. you get the food from all the stalls and sit there. That's right. And then there'd yep. be a, the Carlsger, Carlsberg girl and the Guinness girl. Yep. Why on earth the Malaysians thought that Guinness was going to be something that everyone would want to drink? <laughs> I do not know. But they were the prettiest young ladies, weren't yep, they? They were. Uh, yep. Yeah. And, uh, Absolutely, yeah. Good time all around. Wonderful. And the, the beer was so cold and they uh, kept it coming. So, uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, no shortage. No, it was fabulous times. Chili crabs and uh, uh, ray flaps, yep. which we gave a different name. <laughs> and um, all the, yeah, it was extremely good food. No, yeah, I loved it. No, they um, great times. So uh, now I eventually moved back to the UK. What did you carry on and do? Yeah, so I stayed on 77 Squadron for three and a half years. Um, wow. And then got chosen to go and do our fighter weapons course, our F Fighter Combat Instructor course, FCI course. Now, which is your that QI. is a real feather in your cap to get that course, isn't it? Yeah, it was something I really wanted to do. And uh, there were two of us chosen off Squadron to go. Um, so Wild Man and myself. And uh, so there were six of us on course. Uh, so that was six months of the hardest work of my life at, uh, at our OCU going through that. Yeah, um, they, they don't hold back, do they? And no, you no. get given some pretty mammoth jobs to, to yeah. do and plan and execute. Yeah. As well as all the technical knowledge you have to acquire. That's right, yeah. And um, I still remember it was back in the days when you know, the US hadn't given us full access to all the information about the Hornet as well. So <laughs> yes. kind of doing a bit of it with half an arm tied behind your back as well. I do remember that. <laughs> I remember opening the manual. copied out pages. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'd, you'd have the front page, which would have the title of the section you're going to look in. And then it would just be blank paper. Yep. <laughs> and literally photocopied or blanked out certain paragraphs yeah. in, in the books. But uh, you know, thankfully that, that went away later on, but it was a fair bit later on. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess they had to learn to trust you. Yeah, that's You're right. You're a devious bunch of that's Australians. Exactly right. yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so from the uh, FCI course, you would have got a plum posting, I would have thought. Well, I actually ended up staying at OCU instructing for three years. So um, oh. I, was, I was dead keen to get back to 77 as the FCI because I actually didn't yeah. have an FCI at the time. Um, but we were short of instructors at OCU as well, so... Whilst they were trying to get me out, I couldn't leave OCU either. So um, I managed to get away with 77 on some exercises a few times while I was at OCU. You still have some mates there, then? Yeah, yeah. So I went and helped them out, which was good. Um, and that was fabulous. Uh, I mean, learning to instruct, was, it was a great job as well. I you know, really enjoyed my instructional time. Good. And, you know, the people I've instructed of, having been around for a while now, you know, one of them is now the chief of our Air Force, for example. Um, oh, right. So, uh, oh, excellent. <laughs> oh, well, presumably he can do you a favour or two. Like Perhaps that's why so. you're here in London. Maybe, we'll we'll come on to that. We'll come <laughs> on to that. So you w worked on the OCU, and, yep. and then what happened? Well, what happened is a job opportunity outside of Air Force, which I never knew anything about, came up, and that was um, then British Aerospace, you know, now BAE Systems, 
um, doing contract uh, instructing in Saudi Arabia. So, oh, fantastic! I actually left left Air Force and went to uh, went to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia via the UK for training on the um, PC nine at that stage. Okay, but in Saudi, I ended up actually flying the Mark sixty five Strike Master, which oh, was quite quite. Uh, you experience. have to tell everyone what the New Zealanders <laughs> called the Strike Master. Yeah, they call it the Blunty. Yeah, look I at know. it, it's just this big blunt. We have to remember that this was uh, basically the same jet trainer that I flew as a student when I first joined the Air Force back in 1974. So they they tarted it up a bit, I expect. Yeah, it's fairly powerful. I mean, it's the most powerful version of the Strike Master. It had about double the power of the original JPs. Um, yeah. But, of course... We fixed that by putting it in at an airfield 2,000 foot elevation in 45 <laughs> degree heat and then put underwing tanks on it as well. Oh, good um, Lord. So doing formation takeoffs, even on a 10,000 foot runway where you're rotating at about 8,000 feet was quite eye-opening. My Lord. <laughs> oh, hell. No, that sounds dreadful. No, thank you very much. I do remember a story of uh, a, a frontline, and he was a Jaguar pilot, not used to high levels of thrust. The Jaguar pilot is notoriously... Sorry, the Jaguar is notoriously underpowered. Did his first uh, flight on a JP-3. Uh, and he aborted the takeoff because he thought there was something wrong with <laughs> the engine. <laughs> it was called engineering design. <laughs> yes, it was indeed. That, that little old Viper. Anyway, yeah. so um, it must have been fun flying out there. It was it was interesting flying. Um, very very different culturally, obviously working in Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah, it would have been. So yeah, we had basically yeah. about fourteen to sixteen contract instructors on each squadron, but with Saudi Air Force command over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately for me, from my perspective, I was actually doing basic navigator training rather than pilot training. So I got to fly oh, the whole excellent. time. Oh, excellent! Yeah, yeah, you were doing all the polling. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and making these guys a bit sick. Uh, some would get sick. Yeah. <laughs> the, the most interesting thing was normally the, the basic navigators were ones who'd failed their initial screening going through pilot training. And the majority of them would fail because they can't speak English. And oh, then we had Lord. to turn them into navigators whose primary requirement was to talk to the pilot <laughs> in English. <laughs> in English. <laughs> so that was a challenge in itself. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, some incredible uh, landscapes around, around Saudi yeah. Arabia to fly around in. A lot of low um, flying? Yeah, a lot of low flying, yeah. Yeah, I mean, around Riyadh was relatively flat. Many thanks, Woody, and we'll join him again next time for the conclusion of the story of his life in the air. Big mosquitoes, apparently. So I, I um, our mosquitoes have been terrible this year. Here, yeah, same a total here. aside here from the wonderful plane tail that Captain Nick put together for us. Mm-hmm. But um, the bug spray that I found that works the best is this like Australian gold stuff that I buy. I think it may mm. actually come from Australia. And I trust it because their bugs are terrifying. Yeah, they have a lot of terrifying things well. over yeah. there. Yeah. I've never been, but it feels like everything is just trying to kill you all the it time. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I go. haven't been either, but... <laughs> It's on yeah. my list, short list of places to go sooner rather than later. Hopefully. It's always so interesting to hear um, stories from Nick's past, especially uh, the fast jet um, times of his career. And uh, anyway, look forward to hearing part two. Part two probably of, in three weeks or so. Yeah, probably about three weeks from now or so. Yeah, All right. Um, that brings us to the feedback 
uh, portion of our show. And that means that's before, Hey, real quick, before we get yeah. to feedback, how are you doing, Matt? Yeah, I'm going to head off if that's all right. It's only okay. 1 a.m. Yeah. here. So. Oh, yeah. You need, <laughs> oh, you wimp. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's late. It's, it's going to be late for him tomorrow night, but you still got to get some good sleep before yeah, yeah. that. You, and you have to need some beauty rest, please. At a certain like, level. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've done a good so job much. pushing that clock for you. But yeah. Good to <laughs> see you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fantastic. Well, Matt, it was really great. Enjoyed it. I'm glad you were able to join us and uh, kind of uh, promote your uh your feet you're not your feedback your meetup yeah, meet in yeah. uh atlanta uh, and i'm lo really looking forward to seeing you when you're when you're this way so excellent yep. Lovely. enjoy your travels all right Perfect. and maybe i'll thank see you, you much, in london you. too all right yeah i'll try okay thanks yeah. everyone cheers okay. Nick. Cheers. Bye. bye cheers bye-bye i thought he'd never leave no i'm just kidding <laughs> We were messaging a little bit about about the meetup, um, uh -huh. and you know he's like, "It's like one o'clock in the morning." I was like, "I got you, I got you." <laughs> so, oh, did you? No, wonderful. Were you wonderful on a separate him, uh, messaging feed or something? Yeah, that super is, secret. Uh, ah, oh, the uh, don't tell Jeff, but uh, he's got like like something in a like pepper in between yeah, his teeth. Yeah, that feed. I, mean, I was going to tell you, but yeah. just let it go. But no, it'd be more fun not to tell me. Okay. <laughs> Feedback bumper. Uh, feedback bumper. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Here we go. So you guys, I can't wait for you to hear all this. <laughs> I know. I've, I've had Liz in my ear before. That's true. Yes, you have. She knows. Incoming message. All right. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's start with uh, this item. In the feedback, I'm vamping to find it. Here we go. Uh, it's from Kevin Flick. I guess that's his nickname. Uh, he or sent his surname. or his surname. Oh, could be. Yeah, Kevin Flick. Uh, he sent this to us in. Oh shoot, did I? What was this all about again, Liz? This is this is a funny. Um, you know the 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 captain is flying to Perth and he says, if you really want to get, there, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Uh, you know, a professional podcaster would have already set up this, uh, during the plane tale. You would have set it up and you have made some little like notes, like reminders. No, yeah. That's about... me. I make notes all the time. <laughs> but this is with us going over the stuff. Like, okay. Liz, just like dagger in the heart. Uh, okay. Uh, here we go. You miss me in the next two weeks. Yeah, I, I really, I really will miss you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, here we go. Open and there it is. Okay. So he sent this link, I guess, to a, yep, yep. Um, a, a video and, uh, we're going to go ahead and let the audio go. I was thinking about just reading this and doing my yeah. own version of it, but let's listen to it in its full glory video and audio. And it must be something like a, uh, like a comedy program or something like that. Um, PA. yeah, here we go. It's a, it's a PA being made, uh, in flight from the captain. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 30,000 feet, and I'll be turning off the seatbelt sign soon so you can move freely about the cabin. Estimated time of arrival in Perth is 8.30 a.m. I would also like to add that while we are in the air, I own you. I am in control, and your lives are in my hands. From this point on, you are to refer to me only as 
the Lord of the Skies. <laughs> yes, that means you. The cabin crew will soon be passing around a hat, and if you want to get to Perth in one piece, I strongly suggest you make a donation. I also demand that a blonde woman with big norks be chosen and sent to the cockpit as a show of good faith on your part. In the meantime, we hope you have a pleasant flight. And just remember, I own you. That's one of my standard PAs that I make while I cruise. Retirement PA. Didn't, didn't know you were the blondes up there, Jeff. <laughs> you always got to work the blondes, man. You always got to work the blondes. Yeah, no. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, yeah, Kevin, I'm not sure if we should thank you or not. Uh, but, I left. Uh, yeah, there you go. So, uh, I got another video coming up here. Oh, we have another video. Yeah, well, I wish I'd known that. Uh, is it this one? Yeah, oh, yeah. This one's pretty course. good. It doesn't, it's, you don't really need the video, I don't think, yeah, right? No, like, just no? the audio. Okay. Well, uh, then let me just play the audio. And uh, here we go. This is from Brett. And uh, I think just see. play it without it much introduction. Okay, here we go. It'll, this it'll, is it'll, okay. This is feedback from Brett and Bass Aviation, our friends over there, Real Aviation Communications. Air flight seventy two forty five, contact departure safe flight. Air flight seventy two forty five, we're gonna have to come back. Air flight seventy two forty five, same intention. Uh, we'd like to do the visual for 36 again. We have uh, an uninvited guest on board, a cat, somehow walking on land. So, do you want center to vector you around and point you out the airfield, or do you just want to make right traffic? I can go right traffic. Then fly 7245, make right traffic, it's only 36 left. Right traffic for 6 left, then fly 7245. Then fly 7245, squawk 1200. Squawk 7245, Flight 7245, traffic departure roll, no factor, only 36 left, clear to land, wind 060 at 7. 36 left, clear to land at high 7245. Flight 7245, if able, turn left on runway 32, taxi parking be out. Flight 7245, I'm sorry, I didn't want to ask you while you were making your maneuvers, but I didn't catch the, uh, the reason for the turnaround. It wasn't anything uh, like safety of flight, was it? A cat, like a feline? <laughs> wow. I've, ten years of experience, I've never had anything like that happen. Um, let me know if you need any assistance or if you need uh, the airport police to come get it or something. Yeah. He's going to need a, like a vaccination or uh, something for cat scratch fever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and so uh, Brett says, an interested or interesting stowaway on this flight. Glad it didn't get caught up in the rudder pedals or turn off any Sorry, breakers. My uh, wife wondered maybe it was trying to get to Katmandu. Mm. Uh, at least it was not a snake. But cat claws and legs would be painful for sure. Who's doing the? Who, who's highlighting all this stuff on? It has to be Liz. Oh no, it was me. I didn't know oh, you could see that. Yeah, we could oh, see yeah. that. Oh, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> that was an earlier uh, news thing. I was yeah, like distracting me. I'm going. I am highlighting it as you're reading it. <laughs> yeah, we can what is going on? Here? We're all on the yep. same login. All right, so, I'll stop. Blame me. Just looks like. I was gonna say. I was just gonna say. Uh, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Nick wasn't around here for this one because you know, 
navigating yourself all the way back to the runway without any ATC assistance, <laughs> walking VFR. I mean, what kind of rodeo is this? What do you mean like, by right cow- traffic? There's a bunch of cowboys out here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't have the gunshot one on my... Uh, oh, well. <sighs> okay. Well, that was interesting. Thank you, Brett. Fry, near Toledo. No video next time. No video? No. Okay. Excellent. This is from Jim. Fulton. Fulton. And uh, now you'll remember that somebody sent in some feedback a while Sam ago. Bolog. Sam Sam Bolog. That's right. From Los Angeles. And uh, something about the numbers on the airplane for the for the ETOPS, the 777 and uh, United Airlines. And uh, so he says... Yeah, so um, I think it just we pretty much got into the the weeds on this whole thing, um, but we're going to continue because <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> Further into the weeds, yes. Get my weed whacker out. We're going to get so far down into the weeds. We're going to go yeah. like under the earth. Um, so uh, <laughs> Jim says, as an enthusiast, I've long been intrigued by UAL's flight or fleet numbering. I thought it was simply a configuration, but the Boeing 777s seem to mess things up. I used the source planespotters.net, which is amateur, so it may not be 100% up to date. And then he goes on, and I'm not, trust me, I'm not going to read all this stuff because no, it's, it's going to be in the show notes, and you can read all about the A320 fleet, the 737. Yeah, you can go in and get into your own weeds uh, after the show. Uh, 737s, 757s, 767s, all the different uh, codes, and and uh, to try to figure out what all these th- these things mean that are painted on the aircraft. Although, I don't know, do we ever get down to the, I, I guess the 777 is one of those fleets at United that is kind of. Um, the rogue fleet. Yeah, rogue. So, yeah, not quite. Yeah, we never quite. figured it out, really. We never did. Yeah, we never did figure it out. I do like his assessment, though. I think the mm-hmm. 777 fleet allocations were given to someone who can barely use crayons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point, Jim. Good point. All right, and he said, uh, let's see, stay blue side up, Jeff, Nick, C, and Steph, Captain Nick, and may your bowls always be down the middle, whatever that means. And Jim might be at your meetup in the UK. Oh, yeah, Jim might be at the meetup in the UK. I hope that he is, and I can uh, meet you in person, Jim. You can get into the weeds with him in Yeah, person. we'll definitely get into the weeds. Yeah. yeah. Sure Maybe the bowls, means. too, hmm? or not. Maybe the bowls too, or the bowls. You wouldn't think that they have weeds on the uh, bowling green, though. If they do, somebody's in trouble. Sloppy. Yeah. Nick would be very unhappy. Nick would be very, very unimpressed. Speaking of our resident artist. All right, so uh, Hajunk, H J O N K, uh, Yonk. Yonk. Okay. Oh, I like that. Yonk. That sounds uh, good. Uh, dear APG crew, I have recently been messing with mid-journey AI. That's what uh, Nick has been using for uh, several of the last episode's artwork. And he said, this is one of the results. My definition of the Jet Blue Spirit merger. And Look at so, all those wings. Lots of wings and fuselages kind of intertwining. 
and uh, the words spirit spirit blue. Okay, I see that. Um, it's the the Jet Blue Spirit merger. Thank you for making such a good podcast. <laughs> and um, we'll uh, have that in the show notes for you to look at the art. And <laughs> Steph, come on, I'm I'm trying. <laughs> I really am. What would you say? I like it so much better when you say it that <laughs> way. <laughs> Yonk. Yonk. <laughs> Yonk. Now, is that your real name? And if so, what kind of uh, background is that? What kind of? Yeah. Uh, I just I just want to say, even if it's not your real name, if it's not something that would be um, uh, just easily understandable to a native English speaker, maybe include some phonetic uh, so spellings helpful. for us so we can get it or, right. Or not. I think you shouldn't probably do that because then it wouldn't be as funny and entertaining it's uh, not intuitive to, to, to hear us, you know, try to figure out exactly how to pronounce it. Um, I, I, I was trying to find his, uh, well, I don't want to give out his email address, but it's something like, yonk, yonk, yonk. <laughs> it's like several, <laughs> several of that name in Sounds a row. Like and a I'm burner thinking, account oh. for to me. Yeah. I don't know. Like to Sounds me. like he's making all this up. I don't know. Um, oh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't have given him my credit card number. Yeah. <laughs> the next one, you're not playing the video. You're just going to talk about it. And okay. It's in the show notes. Okay. Video. So, we got video. Yes. This next one. Okay. Well, I'll play a little bit of it though, Liz, um, just to kind of okay. give everybody right. a little tease. Uh, so this was some video that was sent in from our good friend, uh, Mike, um, uh, Sonics, S O N E X. Uh, that's not his last name. That's the airplane that, uh, uh home built that he flies. Oh, wow. Sorry about that. Very high volume. Uh, as his uh, trip to Air Venture uh, last year. Here we are at 6B6, getting ready to take off. Head out to Air Venture Oshkosh. And his beautiful Sonics. There's a little map showing his route of flight. That's a, a speedy aircraft there. <laughs> that good old low and slow stuff. Yeah. A nice picture of that. And uh, out the front windscreen, uh, right wing, going through some clouds. And uh, this looks like he's coming in to land at his uh, first stop. Nice landing, man. That thing looks like a glider with a, except not because it's got a prop on the front. But I think just the, just the wide open view and the size of it. Yeah, yeah, beautiful uh, view from this windscreen. Um, so okay, we're gonna we're gonna stop the uh, playback right now, but um, it's it's like a twenty five minute long. Uh, video that he produced. It's very nice. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Sonex, S-O-N-E-X, uh, is made in, in, in Oshkosh, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess every time he goes to Air Venture, the airplane is, is going home. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Like a homing pigeon. A homing pigeon. Yes. Neat, right. neat airplane. Yeah. So this is Mike Smith and, uh, Finally got a, you know, hey, Mike, you know what? Air Venture is like in just a few weeks and you're just now posting your 
2022 video? That's that rich coming from you. Yeah. Okay, Liz. She goes, that's rich coming from you, Jeff. Uh, yeah, this is definitely why we all need to be listening to the commentary. Like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah you do. Okay. So they can uh, stand up for you. Again. We're going to, you know what I'm going to do? I think um, probably the best thing to do with me would me would be for me to uh, upload that to our private um, uh, APG uh, YouTube channel, mm. you know, like unlisted, and then I can have a link to that, and people can go to the show notes and watch Good that. Yeah, if that's all right with uh, you, Mike. Um, well, let's Jeff, we just passed the yeah. two and a half hour mark. Just passed two and a half hours. Wow, time flies when you're not having fun. Um, Let's see, Richard, no, I'm having fun. I'm just kidding. Uh, This next piece of feedback from Richard Nash, how I got here. Okay, hello to all the APG. I have been listening to APG since around 2016, I think. It's all been one big blur, really. Uh, Some feedback on the last show, number 574, by Mike, who is taking private pilot uh, license lessons at the tender age of 35, Reminded me of when I took my first lesson at 33 years old and wanted to write in and hopefully give some encouragement to my fellow midlife career changers. It's been a while since you had any How I Got Here segments, and they always filled me with encouragement when I heard them. I was always interested in aviation from a very young age, having pictures of planes on my bedroom wall. Yeah, I think we all did, didn't we? <laughs> I, uh, I know I did. Um Let's see. Um, I started working at my local airport as a ground handler at the start of 2002. I remember my first job after two weeks of classroom learning was to set the chocks on the wheels of an incoming Boeing 757. My knees were shaking as this massive, noisy aircraft came towards me. What a thrill it was. I got myself trained on all aspects of the job, from loading baggage to driving the passenger buses to towing and pushing back aircraft and de-icing. I really enjoyed that bit, bobbing up and down in that basket above an airliner in sub-zero conditions, squirting 80-degree fluid all over the place. (laughs) I did that job for just over five years, including some time working on the cargo operation with dedicated freight aircraft. Before working out, I couldn't do it forever. Life on the ramp is hard on the body with danger around every corner. In fact, in the last plane tale, he told us that an airline pilot is classed as the third most dangerous job. When I was getting life insurance, when I worked on the ramp, it was quite expensive as my job fell into the same category as the people that fixed the tall electricity pylons. What do they call those? Um, Wichita linemen? Yeah. Yeah. In 2002, I became an airline cabin crew flying around Europe based at my same local airport, just 20 minutes from home. I loved the job. The views out the window were spectacular. And getting to work alongside professional pilots, sitting in the flight deck on the, in the cruise on a quiet flight was brilliant. By 2015, life was good. Money was stable. And I was enjoying life with my partner, who I've been with for a few years now. I had a friend with a PPL, and two others had started lessons. It was this that made me want to start flying. Why should they have all the fun? So in August of 2015, I had my first lesson with an instructor who also happened to be a captain in my airline. I took things at a steady pace. I wanted to enjoy the process, and there was no rush, as I planned to keep it at PPL level and fly with friends. After all, 
I was never clever enough or had the money to pursue being a commercial pilot. Oh, how wrong I was. After passing, I went solo for the first time a week before Christmas that year and finished the year on a high. As most people taking flying lessons tend to be interested in aviation, (laughs) I found the theory part of it all very interesting and passed the PPL written exams early in my flight training. So when someone offered to lend me their ATPL books, I decided that there's no harm in looking at them. And with the encouragement of the pilots at work, I decided that I didn't want to look back in 20 years and realize I didn't at least try to make this flying game further or take, sorry, and realize I didn't at least try to take this flying game further. After passing my PPL skills test, I enrolled into an ATPL distance learning course. I paid something like 1,500 pounds for the first part and said to myself, this is it. We're investing big money into this now. It's getting serious. Oh, how naive I was to think that this was big money. (laughs) You just wait until you start flying multi-engine aircraft. Anyway, the next few years were the hardest of my life. I put everything into it, sat at the kitchen table on lovely hot summer days while friends and family were out having fun. I was learning how to navigate the earth, how weather works, the science and maths behind how wings work. But to my amazement, I passed all 14 exams and it was time to start my multi-engine instrument and commercial pilot training. That was by far the hardest flying I've done, but equally the most rewarding. Trying to keep the aircraft going where I wanted while being buffeted around in weather using paper charts and an aircraft with a standard six-pack analog layout was quite the challenge. I was coming towards the end of the training when I realized uh, I needed to go all in and get it done. After a lot of hard thinking and sorting some finances out, I took the decision to hand my notice in and leave my job as cabin crew to focus on finishing my flight training full-time. The reason for this was also because I needed a month off work to do a multi-crew cooperation course, which was now required by all airlines to apply for flying jobs. Understandably, work wouldn't let me just disappear for a month in the middle of summer during our busiest period. After all, once I've done this course, I would be applying for pilot jobs and probably handing my notice in anyway. The world had other plans for me, though, as the flight school I was at only had one multi-engine aircraft that broke on the very day I left my job. Uh, It was down for six weeks before we got flying again. Now I was jobless and full-time flight training, not flying with an ever-shrinking bank balance, but eventually the airplane got fixed and I had done it. I was fully qualified, multi-engine, instrument-rated, commercial pilot, able to apply for jobs. The very same day I received my license through the post, I was applying to airlines all over Europe with excitement. I enjoyed Christmas and I was looking forward to the exciting year I'd have ahead of me. Oh, Did I mention this was Christmas 2019? 2020 was going to be so exciting and full of opportunity. (laughs) By February 2020, I had no luck with pilot job applications, so applied back at my home airport where I'd spent the last 18 years of my working life. This time I was applying for the role of an aircraft dispatcher. A dispatcher in the UK isn't quite as involved as it is in America. It was two weeks classroom, then two weeks on the ramp dispatching aircraft with a mentor. I got to uh, dispatch my first aircraft on my own one evening 
It was the same airline I had been cabin crew with for 11 years and saw it take off with a smile on my face, looking forward to my next shift dispatching on my own. Meanwhile, the company I worked for also handled Flybe, a UK regional airline that had gone into administration a week before, and now COVID was taking hold and flights were starting to be canceled across the region, which led to a phone call the next day informing me that I was being laid off with immediate effect. We were all locked down with nothing to do. I tried to keep my hopes up and aviation knowledge up by reading my theory books to be ready for an interview that by now seemed even further away. The industry I love so much was collapsing around me. Pilots with years of experience were being made redundant and looking for jobs. Who was going to hire me? Someone approaching middle age with no more than minimum required flying hours with no commercial hours behind him? Another little obstacle that had been put in front of me, I was on a UK license, license, which meant after the UK left the European Union, all of the European airlines had closed their doors to me applying to them. Everyone assumed there would be some sort of deal, some exceptions, but no, it was just another way the world wanted to stop me being a pilot. To make ends meet, I got a job in a warehouse near the airport, which paid the bills, but it didn't exactly fill me with pride or enthusiasm for what I was doing. I could hear the aircraft landing and taking off through the warehouse walls. Uh, These were mainly freighters, as the passenger operation was pretty much non-existent. I felt like I'd lost my identity. To my friends and family, I was the guy who worked at the airport. Aviation was who I was. It's all I know. By chance, a friend who had, I'd worked with back in the early 2000s on the ramp was now working as a supervisor at the other end of the airport with DHL and was recruiting. I gave him a call, and within a month or so, I was back on the ramp back at my airport working with aircraft. I wasn't flying them, but at least I was back in the industry. I did that for a year. And as the world of passenger aviation started to return to pre-COVID levels, I had the email I had been waiting for, a chance to go through the assessment and interview process for none other than my airline I'd been cabin crew with. I'd loaded their bags, pushed their planes back, de-iced them in the mids of winter, and finally I had dispatched with them. Could this really be the dream coming true? Am I finally going to be allowed to fly these beasts? It was hard not to let the gravity of what this interview meant to me. Uh, Just a few hours could make my dreams come true. You could say I'd been preparing for this day for the last 20 years. I felt the day uh, went quite well, but then I was left a week before I received an email. I hadn't told anyone except my partner about the interview, so when the email came through, I was able to tell my family and friends that last week I went for an interview And I have just received an email offering me a job as an airline pilot. I burst into tears of happiness every time I shared the news. And in fact, writing this email and reliving the emotions of it all has got me quite choked up. Excuse me. My years working on the ground and in the cabin, not to mention the many, many, many hours on flight sim, (laughs) prepared me well for the type rating. It was a grueling five weeks of studying, exams, simulators, but for the first time, I pressed toga on the real thing uh, with something I will never forget. Months of line training with training captains followed, ending in a final line check to release me to fly with regular captains. Today is 24th, June, 2023. I'm 40 years old. 
and I have just over 800 hours flying the Boeing 737 around Europe. And even when my alarm goes off at 4 a.m., I jump out of bed excited that I'm going to work doing a job I've wanted for so long. I'm based at my airport again, flying for my airline with friends and colleagues I've known for years, even some people I started at the airport with all the way back in 2002. I've seen a lot of change in the industry over the last 21 years. Airlines have come and gone. People have moved around different companies, but there's something special about the world of aviation, and I love it. Sorry for such a long feedback, but I just got carried away. (laughs) Feel free to split it into two parts if you wish. Well, now you tell me, Richard. Too late. I just read the whole thing. (laughs) Should have led with that. Yeah, yeah, lead with that next time. And I, I, I think uh, my, I'm a little parched. Let me uh, get actually. Some I don't think it should have been split up into two parts. No, that I was agree. fantastic. Great. I know it was long, but you know, yeah. it directly answers a lot of. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who get into aviation later in life and aren't sure how it's going to go and run into a lot of roadblocks. And this really just shows that. You stick with it. You stay persistent. Persistence. You know, if it's what you love and want to do you know, it, it, it can and should work out. Yep. What's that old saying? If there's a will, there's a way. It may not be the easiest way <laughs> and it may take a long time, but you know, Rich is just proof for all of us that persistence really does pay off if you're, Boy, if that's really what you want. people in the chat are loving that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Great, great story. story. Thank you so much, Rich, for, for sharing that. And I, and it, I, you know, when you were talking about tears coming to your eyes, you know, telling people about the fact that you finally got that airline pilot job that you've been working for for decades um, made me kind of tear up myself. So thank you for that touching Nigel that, even touching us. Nigel in our chat room says, fantastic story, full marks for perseverance. Now enjoy. Laura loves it. Yep. Laura loves it too. That's a great story. A lot of tenacity. Neil Lawrence, what an inspirational story. Sounds like he's based at East Midlands with the heavy DHL presence. Congrats. Yeah, that is awesome. Richard, I hope that uh, I get to meet you in person, hopefully. I don't know exactly where you are, but if you're able to make one of the meetups, that'd be great. Uh, Look forward to meeting you if if that's a possibility. Or maybe you'll be flying a trip and that that would be um, probably more important (laughs) to do that. But... uh, Fantastic. Good stuff. So, Jeff, we've got just over 10 minutes left. Yes. um, I think we should probably wrap it up sooner than later. I was thinking we could wrap it up with the guy living in the uh, catering truck. Okay. We will uh, go ahead and do one more piece of feedback. We're going to wrap it up, and uh, we're going to jump to number 15. And uh, now I I remember reading about this myself um, about a year ago. Um, this was sent in from, uh, Jeff, a Southwest airlines pilot is living in a former catering truck. He says, maybe an alternative to Jeff's RV. And this is from simpleflying.com. Uh, Southwest pilot, Mark Penke has given up costly airline. That reminds me of a captain I used to fly with and his last name was Panky and his nickname was Hanky. Hanky <laughs> Panky. I love it. And he and that really was appropriate for this guy. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, sounds like this, an HR problem. Oh, let me tell you that now, I know this is oh, an wait. aside, just a quick aside. <laughs> this guy could would tell the dirtiest jokes with like 
company, like it, company. like everybody, mixed, like mixed he, company, mixed company. Thank you. And like the, I was a first officer at the time, and the engineer and I would be like looking at at each other, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying these. Like, what? I mean, he's going to get fired. I know he's going to get fired. But he, this is the kind of guy that can tell these jokes. Everybody would laugh. Nobody would be offended. If I had told that same joke, I would have been fired the next day. So somehow but, he was very uh, charming and disarming. Very chis, yeah, very chisarming. <laughs> charming and disarming. Um, and, if, and then I think I may have told, told the story before. Um, uh, this was early on in my career at Acme, uh, going to the pediatrician's office. And uh, uh, somehow I think we we're doing our insurance card and you know somehow she knew i flew for acme she goes oh i'm dating a dating a pilot uh, at acme uh, um captain um and uh, i forgot what his real name was something panky jim panky or something like that. and he goes do you know him and i'm thinking mm, don't say anything don't say anything <laughs> oh yeah yeah i know super I guy know. so yeah yeah and as soon as we walked Boy, out the well, as soon as we walked out the office, I thought, "Let me tell you about this guy. This relationship with this uh, uh, person inside the pediatrician's office is not going to last very long." To yeah. tell you that, failure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry, I just brought up some memories there. So, Southwest pilot Mark Panky, probably no relation, uh, has given up costly airline commutes in favor of a more nomadic, more nomadic life. And a simple catering truck. Uh, he has chosen to immerse himself in the airline's history by living in a retired airplane catering truck. During the pandemic, Panky decided to use his newly found free time to convert the old catering truck into his private dwelling. While the project took seven months to complete, Panky has shared that it was all well, well worth the time and effort as he now has a very relaxed lifestyle. His only significant regular commitments include picking up the occasional flight trip with Southwest to retain flight currency and position at the airline. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> I'll just do as little as possible. <laughs> Many pilots agree that one of the best things about being an airline pilot is that you don't have to take work home with you. Yeah, that is the best thing. Unless, of course, you are Mark Pankey who takes it with him everywhere he goes, or at least a reminder of it. According to Insider... Uh, Pank, I guess that's where this is from, right? Uh, Insider, that's something else. I don't know what that is. I don't know. They must have gotten the story from Insider, whatever that is. Uh, Panky first got the idea to live in a, a catering truck several years ago when he told another pilot how cool it would be to live in a catering truck. <laughs> that's a conversation I hear all the time. <laughs> hey, man, have you ever considered living in a catering truck? Hey, look That'd at that catering sweet. truck. Wouldn't that be cool to live in? <laughs> I mean, like, think about all the food, you know? Uh, yeah, snacks. snacks for sure. Yeah. Uh, shortly there, uh, peanuts, uh, shortly thereafter that pilot told Panky that some of the old catering trucks were going up for auction before he knew it. Panky had acquired a catering truck for $3,300. When the pandemic hit and air travel became more, uh, almost non-existent, he found himself with more than enough time to work on converting this old snack hauler into a mobile home. After acquiring the truck, the first step was replacing the flimsy fiberglass roof. He replaced it with a sturdy slanted roof designed to catch rainwater and could later be used for living purposes. 
Uh, there he proceeded to insulate the cargo container and reinforce the walls. Then came the lengthy process of equipping it as a living space by installing the necessary plumbing and electrical systems. To better ensure that he could live in a self-sustained lifestyle, he added solar panels on the roof and equipped the rig with a generator. Once he installed all necessary appliances, including a fridge and freezer, all that was left to do was furnish his new home. He also redid the truck's exterior, painting it gray to resemble a fighter jet, although he left the slogan, the snacks are on me, on the side of the truck. The conversion process took him roughly seven months, and by the end he had spent 30000 and 35000 oh, somewhere between thirty dollars and $35,000, including the cost of acquiring the truck. Since completing the project, he has traveled across much of the United States, seeing as much as possible while living in a relaxing lifestyle with minimal commitments. He does still fly for Southwest Airlines and continues to love flying. Fortunately, his mobile lifestyle and flexible work schedule enable him to work when and where he pleases. Uh, Let's see, he was in the U.S. Air Force before he joined Southwest. Uh, He was a a a 20-year, so he retired from the U.S. Air Force. Then he got a job with Southwest. Um, let's see. During this time, he found himself committing to work regularly, meaning he had to spend money on hotel rooms. He told an insider that he spent an average of $800 a month out of uh, pocket on hotel rooms. This is when he hatched the idea of renovating and living in a van. So he did just that and spent much time living in airport parking lots. Um a couple of years later, the pandemic hit. He hatched his brilliant idea of converting the catering truck into a mobile home. Today, he continues to live this life on the road, taking the occasional break to fly airplanes. He says most of his favorite things about living in the catering truck include being close to nature, which allows him to live in a relaxed lifestyle. It comes with a scissor lift that can extend 17 feet into the air, giving him incredible views. Well, I guess that's something. <laughs> it's something. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, that would be kind of cool to kind of get that thing up in the air, you know, if you're at that a. That sounds like a maintenance nightmare, though. Yeah, it right. does. I probably wouldn't mess with it. Just yeah, don't touch it. Leave it. It'll get stuck up in a stowed position. Okay, yeah. Can you imagine having to drive that thing around with that thing oh, stuck shoot. up in there? wouldn't be able to go under very many bridges. Yeah, you'd yeah, be very careful about that. Anyway, so cool story, uh, RV and aviation related, uh, which is uh, kind of right up my alley, so to speak. Um, All right, so I think it's time to wrap this baby up, and uh, we always like to point you over to the AirlinePilotGuy.com website, uh, where you'll find information about the community and the crew, and we've got a calendar over there, and we got, uh, uh, what do we have, merchandise, Merch. and we have uh, a library if you like read books. Uh, Tiffany, our librarian, takes care of that for us. Thank you, Tiffany. And um, yeah, it's been a long time since I've gotten a Buffalo layover. Miss miss seeing Tiffany. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, more information, more detailed information about the plane tales. The crew. Um, the crew, yeah, I, I, that's the first. I let off with the crew. Um, you can go into the weeds on the crew. I could, yeah, you could definitely go into the weeds if you want to learn more about the crew there. And probably most of that stuff is outdated by now, I would bet. Um, anyway, lots of good stuff. Just check it out. Just go over to airlinepilotguy.com. And then we'll talk about the social medias, the social medias. And uh, Steph is our social media uh, ex- expert. Well, or at least I pretend to be. 
Or, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we we pretend to do everything on the show. <laughs> Fair point. Anyway, if uh, you're a fan of the social meds, please head over to Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at APG crew and find our individual handles pinned to the top of that page and on Instagram, also APG crew. And that's a great place to see Captain Nick's weekly artwork for the show. And, and? and if you desire more, dear listener. I mean, I don't know how you could desire more. But if, if you do, we have this. Yeah. Oh. Uh-oh. Is he there? Yeah. Oh, wait. He's there. Oh, okay. I, hear- I was worried for a second. Phew. Uh, yeah, me too. Hello. Can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm I know. Okay. Well, come on over here and... and uh... It's caught in my zipper, Jeff. <laughs> okay. I'll play the recording. Oh, it's caught in the zipper again. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Hillel, for Dude, that. I don't know. Is your bathroom con- farther away than normal? He sounds very far away. <laughs> yeah, these are. Um, these are uh, files that I haven't fixed yet. Yeah. Uh, but thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> I, I was just wondering if you had like renovated and moved the bathroom. Yeah, it's a much way. larger apartment I'm in now. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's like a five bedroom. Yeah. No, uh, it's just uh, me not having everything prepared. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, my my uh, Bell's two-hearted IPA wants to somehow come up for air or something here. Apologize for all those noises. Anyway, uh, we'd also like to thank our producer, Liz. She's awesome. We love her. Especially love all the sweet things that she says to me during the show. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, yeah, so thanks for joining especially all of you in the live audience um, really really appreciate your presence every week and you, you really add a lot to the show we, uh, we appreciate you love you and with that uh, i think it's time for us to end this thing by saying wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds take care and god bless cheers y'all happy fourth see you next time happy canada day Good day.
to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly, oh, man, oh Airline 